Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. Fortunately, Geico makes it easy to bundle your home and car insurance. It's a good thing too, because having a home is hard work. Go to geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. Geico.com. Easy. The most hated jeweler in America is excited to introduce you to someone very special. She's beautiful, classy, and she's brilliant. She will dazzle you. People can't stop staring at her. Meet Krista. She's easy. Wait, what? Krista is Steven Singer's most loved engagement ring and takes the stress and guesswork out of finding the perfect ring. A bright white, 100% eye flawless, near colorless, High quality, round, brilliant cut diamond expertly set into a classic solitaire Tiffany setting that will withstand the test of time. Krista is available. She's ready for love and ready to meet you. Steven Singer isn't in the jewelry business. He's in the love business. This magnificent full one carat round, brilliant cut diamond is only $31.98. Real jewelry doesn't have to be expensive. Plus free shipping and 12 months interest-free financing. Steven's showroom is open by appointment only or go now to IHateStevenSinger.com and click on the Krista ready for love engagement ring. Steven Singer jewelers, real jewelry, real experts for your real love. That's IHateStevenSinger.com. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. She pooted. Is that a rib? No, you have a There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. It, it, it. Was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I ain't scared. Of shit. I ain't scared of shit. Fuck him. Fuck you, Bruce. Ah, Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Uh, I'm tremendous, man. How are you doing, man? I'm great. I am, uh, getting ready for a big weekend here. Excited to be catching up with you doing another something to wrestle. 
but right here at the top of the show, I wanted to thank your lovely wife who, uh, sent Megan and I a very special present this holiday season. Um, we have a very special wreath now. Thanks to Mrs. Pritchard. That's pretty cool, man. It's not often that we get anything fucking handmade like that. That was really, really special. I appreciate that. Thank you guys very well, much. You're more than welcome. And, and you, what kind of fudge did you get this month? You know, we should tell everybody you've been packing my fudge every month. Now, uh, you got me the fudge of the month and it came early and there's nothing like a little early fudge. And, uh, I didn't know why we had fudge, but we had fudge. And, and I got to tell you, Kansas and Morgan have been wearing it out. I got like one bite of last month. I don't know that I've even seen this month. I think it gets confiscated and goes downstairs and never heard from again. Well, shit happens like that sometimes, but it, it does, but no, Hey, but yeah, my wife has been making all these goddamn Reese. <laughs> I say that because I wake up in the morning and the door down to the basement is wide open and where the hell are you? And she's got stuff all over the place and has had a blast, uh, making these things. And just, uh, you guys were, were lucky on the list and had a custom, a custom, a Conrad custom read. Dude, Conrad custom Christmas wreath. It was hung before I got home. Megan was so excited I to have it. That. And, and I really appreciate it. It was, uh, it's a very thoughtful gift. And speaking of thoughtful, Last week, people thought it was one of our most thoughtful episodes ever. We tried to do our best to pay tribute to Pat Patterson. We were a day late, but we weren't a dollar short. Uh, most people are saying it was a top five all-time show for us, Bruce. A lot of people are even saying it was our very best show. What was the feedback you got about last week's tribute to Pat? Whew. You know, uh, I can probably speak a little better, uh, today that I could, I, I couldn't even tell you really what was on the show last week, but I got an overwhelming response on Twitter. I got an overwhelming response, um, from so many people, uh, at TV that I came up that I never knew that had never talked to me about listening to the show before and, and came up and just hugged me and it, it's like I got condolences and well wishes from people as if, as if I lost, you know, my dad or my brother and Pat was the, the equivalent, you know, to both in, in many, many ways. And I just, the overwhelming outpour of, of love Man, we got the greatest listeners in the world. Oh we gosh, really did. no it's doubt, beautiful, and and I felt it, and I was so appreciative of it. But it it just was it was hard. It was hard. Um, we we got through it. You know what I mean? We, we got through it, and like I told you tonight, you know, before we started, I I don't I don't know I'll ever be over it. Um, I said, God damn, you know, do you want to do part two? Do you want to, uh, continue on? I've got a gazillion Pat Patterson stories and, and maybe, you know, now's the time. And, and you played last week with doing the, uh, whatever the hell you call it, uh, of his life. And I said, well, let's try and get through it and, and, and maybe I'll do a few diversions along the way. But I think that Pat Patterson's contributions to the business that he and I loved so much 
is is worth is worthy of two shows is worthy of three shows is worthy of of years of shows because frankly every show that we do has a Pat Patterson touch to it because he had that much influence in the business and and was one of the most influential people ever in the history of wrestling so um yeah, the, the response was overwhelming, and, and I, I thought it was um, pretty cool because it just shows how many people really, truly loved Pat and, and realized how much he gave to the business. In case you haven't already figured out, we're calling it yet another Audible here. Uh, it's funny because uh, earlier this week, we dropped a sort of best of Pat Patterson because Lord knows we've told a bunch of stories about Pat Patterson over the years. And he's been our special guest at a lot of different shows and events like Starcast and the roast of Bruce. And so, uh, we didn't play any ads last week when Bruce was just sort of pouring his heart out. So earlier this week we had to deliver a full show. And so we saw, you know what, let's just do a best of Pat. And I sent Bruce the notes for last week's episode that we postponed to this week, Armageddon 05. And he pulled it up when we're getting ready to record. And he said, man, I just ain't into it. Can we talk about Pat a little more? And guys, here we go. I'm excited to do it. Uh, We had 46 pages of notes. We're going to try to get through most of it today. Uh, As you said, though, Bruce, we could talk about Pat. You know, we get lots of questions like, when are you guys doing a Vince McMahon episode? Every show is a Vince McMahon episode. And in a weird way, every show is a Pat Patterson episode, right? Absolutely. And, And that's something that, you know, Pat doesn't always get the credit that, he deserved and by God, uh, we're devoting another one to him because I love talking about him and he's just such a wonderful human being. As we talked just three days ago, Dave Meltzer tweeted out, I've come to the conclusion that Pat Patterson is the second most influential person in the North American wrestling industry of the past 40 years. The sad part is it should have been obvious 20 years ago. I thought that was pretty cool for Dave to acknowledge the contributions of Pat. And I think triple H said something very similar. Of course, we know who they're talking about as number one, but number two, right behind Vince McMahon, that's kind of hard to argue when you really think about how big his influence really was. Wouldn't you agree? Pat's influence, not only in the WWE, but in the territories preceding the global expansion of the WWE, everywhere that Pat went, Pat had impact and from San Francisco to Minneapolis to New York. Uh, Montreal, er- everywhere that Pat went, he had tremendous influence and was able to make change and adapt and create. Once Pat's days in the ring were over, Pat fell right into the creative role with Vince, and I dare say nobody could touch him. Chris Jericho has referred to uh, Pat in the past. I believe he used the phrase, he's wrestling Yoda." I thought that was such a great description of Pat Patterson. Is he far off base or do you agree with that assessment? No, I, I wholeheartedly agree with, with that because no matter what it was, Pat had an opinion about it, good, bad, or indifferent. And even if it was bad or was something that Pat didn't feel and, and or see, it was something that Pat would weigh in on and create something better out of it. It was, Always say, ah, what the fuck? I, we always do it that way. Let's do something different. Fuck them. And he would 
find ways to make things different. You wouldn't have, if Pat Patterson were an agent on a live event, you wouldn't have the same show night after night. Right. That's boring to Pat. He would change it up every single night just to entertain himself when he was, you know, entertaining the, the live audience and entertaining the locker room and trying to keep it fun for the talent so that, you know, they didn't have to do the same old shit every single night. And I remember th there was uh, Mr. Perfect and Shawn Michaels had this incredible program. They, they're working all over the place. And we went to the Nassau Coliseum one night and Perfect and, and Sean were having a match for the Intercontinental title. And we're sitting there and on the way there and Pat starts laughing and he says, Brucey, let me throw this at you. Uh, what, what if instead of, yeah, they, they have, they have not one match, they have four matches tonight. And where he was going is we, we did the match and they had a finish. He ran down a second referee. No, 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 no. You know, perfect cheated. He did this. He did that. And they restarted the match. They restarted the match with two referee. Now this time the two referee are in there and bing, they have a big bada The fucking both referee knocked out. You send a third referee down there. You start the match over. Then they have a count out. Then they say, fuck you. We're not going to end it like that. Then you have a... But it made basically four matches out of the damn thing. And it was so much fun because he basically got everybody on the damn car back involved somehow, some way. And you just didn't have a, a match that had a finish. You got a match that basically turned into four matches with four different finishes. And it was a nice roller coaster ride. And that's, that's just the way that he would look at everything on a, on a nightly basis and, and take it there. So it was, that was his way. Man, Christmas is going to be here before you know it. And unfortunately that's going to be extra stress this year with lots of added expenses. Of course you got to do your holiday shopping, but there's probably going to be some travel involved. Uh, it's just been a tough year, but I want to make this the best Christmas ever. Listen, you may have tried to do this in the past, but what you wound up with was a big credit card bill and a new year's resolution to get out of debt and actually start saving money. Why do we wait until next year to do that? Here's a pro tip for you. Don't put Christmas on a credit card. Go to savewithconrad.com right now. We're going to show you how to skip your single biggest bill for the next two months. If you haven't already, you don't have to make your November or your December payment. You're done until next year. And next year, of course, you're going to start the new year with no, you hear me? No credit card debt. We're routinely helping our podcast listeners get rid of all their credit card debt, but take advantage of these great rates while we've still got them. You can pay your house off faster and do it with cheaper monthly payments, but maybe best of all, get the cash you need just in time for the holidays. Don't start 2021 off on the wrong foot where you feel like you're digging yourself out of a hole. Historically, most American families dig themselves into credit card debt that it takes months to dig out of all from Christmas shopping. Don't do that. There's a better way. Skip your next two house payments, get a better interest rate, lower your monthly payments and get rid of your credit card debt. Just like that at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084 equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this? Find out how much money you can save right now for free at savewithconrad.com.
Whether you own or rent, Geico makes it easy to bundle your home and car insurance. Go to Geico.com today. Let's talk about Pat's first influence in wrestling. I think as a kid, uh, he got to see Buddy Rogers, and that was probably his biggest influence, right? His first favorite wrestler and the person who made him such a big fan of the sport. Yeah, when you you know you look at it and the blonde hair and the flashy ring jackets and everything, and I, I actually have one of Pat's ring jackets uh, downstairs in the cedar closet somewhere. Stephanie wanted me to wear it to TV uh, last week in his honor, but uh, I keep it all wrapped up and, and safe down there. Um, but yeah, there was it was definitely an influence with the blonde hair and just the larger than life persona, and that was something Pat loved the show. It was he could do all the guy guy and shit in in between the belt, but Pat loved the pomp and circumstance in the show, and that's what was important. His two favorite wrestlers, though, when he's first you know becoming a fan, probably Buddy Rogers and Killer Kowalski. Would you agree? I mean, we've heard him tell the story about waiting to to carry Killer's bags and get an autograph, and he kept it all the way through the end of his life, which is pretty remarkable that you still have your first wrestling autograph. Yeah, and those guys were big stars in Montreal, and especially Kowalski. So for Pat to be able to see them in the <laughs> you know, <laughs> then later years, as we say sometimes, be careful about meeting your idols and, and things like that. Uh, I think that you know, Buddy Rogers sometimes wasn't the most popular guy uh, backstage, and and Kowalski on the you know, on the other end of that spectrum, I think Walter throughout his entire life and especially in the business was one of the most well-respected and beloved individuals ever in the business. Just a suit, probably too nice for the business, which is funny when you consider Kowalski's character throughout his entire career, killer Kowalski and being a horrible heel. I think he sort of got his start in a very similar fashion to you. Of course, you started selling posters and programs, he was selling hot dogs at the matches. Uh, it's sort of fascinating to think about guys like Paul Heyman, ringside photographer, same with Jim Cornette, uh, you and your brother, both selling gimmicks, Pat selling hot dogs back then. I mean, this was your way in the business, right? And, and you guys weren't just starting, you know, when you're fresh out of high school, you're starting, starting while you're still school age kids. Because that's where that's where the love came from, and it was it was the desire to do any and everything in the business. You had to figure out a way to get in, and you had to figure out a way to be seen and to be productive. And if you didn't produce, you know nobody wanted to have anything to do with you. But if you were there and you were able to make some extra money for the talent and or the promoter, then that caught their eye. Anytime that you put a few more dollars in their pocket, that definitely caught their eye. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about Pat, because one of the first things he's going to have to overcome to be an American wrestling star is he doesn't speak English and well, what he does speak is not very good, but allegedly he learned a lot from watching television and of all things, he credits the price is right to learning how to speak English. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and it's funny. And when you listen to people that come to the country that don't speak English and, and they do learn, they learn from television or they learn from radio without ever really understanding. And 
people go back and, and I know we've kind of skipped over Pat's childhood and everything, but Pat grew up in a very, very poor family and he went to Catholic school and he had several brothers and sisters that they didn't have showers and they didn't have a, a bathtub where they lived. There was a toilet at the end of the hall, but they had to go down to like a, a, a shower house and, and a bathhouse type thing. His sisters would go to one and then he and his brothers would go to another one. And for the whole family, this is including his mother, his father, I think two or three sisters and his brothers, they had one bar of soap. And one would go in and wash, and then they would come out and they would give the other uh, the bar of soap. And you had to protect that bar of soap. And it had to last at least a week. So it's, you know, it wasn't something that Pat was born with a silver spoon in his mouth or anything. He, he grew up uh, hard times in, in a family that was very poor and against all odds succeeded and was able to come out of that and make it in an entertainment industry in a foreign country that uh, he made his way in, which I think is pretty cool when you, when you think of those hardships. He wrote in his book that he spent his first week in Boston and he didn't speak any English. So he winds up eating the same thing every day, hamburger steak, because he had no idea what everything else was. I think sometimes we take that for granted that when guys come over here who don't speak the language or maybe an American goes over yonder, as we say down South, you're way out of sorts. You're by yourself. You're trying to just figure it out. <laughs> wound up eating a lot of hamburger steak. Exactly. And you know, it, he pointed a lot too, which is when, when you would have someone come over from a foreign country, you know, like the Japanese talent or the French talent, German talent. A lot of times they liked Denny's. You know why? Denny's always had a picture on the menu. Mm. So they could look, they could look at the menu and they could point and they saw the picture and no, you don't want that. And as you know, kind of like the, the fast food chains, what the picture is on the menu isn't always exactly what you get, but up until the day that he died, Pat loved his hamburger steak. I like that. I like when you're cracking one open. Let's, uh, let's talk about Louie. We got lots of comments about Louie because you and I talked a lot about their relationship last week, but I don't think we really even scratched the surface on the relationship with Louie. Uh, Mr. Flair has once told me about going to hang out at their house and he referred to their multi-level house in the woods as the tree house. But I think you had a different name for that property, right? Well, it actually did have a name. And, uh, when Pat first, you know, saw this house and he came back and he was like looking at it and he's telling us about it. And he's, I think it had like 122 windows in it. Some ridiculous number of windows, every single window in the place was a different size and different shape. So it was, it, it had, uh, I think three levels to it. The 
one of the master bedrooms had it had a second story to it, which that's a whole other story that uh, probably shouldn't tell. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, it had twelve lofts in the house, so there, there were twelve different lofts that overlooked different rooms throughout the house, um, and so when Pat was you know, describing this house and you go, Oh, but you got to see it. It's such a gimmick that the house then became when Pat moved in, Vince got him a, a sign to put out in the front door. Shay gimmick in French. <laughs> so it was the gimmick house. Shay gimmick, not Shay gimmick, gimmick. Cause you gotta have that French flair on there. Not, Rick Flair, but you know, the other kind of flair. Got it. Okay. Uh, let's talk a little more about Louie. I think, uh, if my research is correct, Pat came to Boston to, to wrestle in 1962 and he's starting to learn the language and he also learns the love language for Mr. Louis Dondero. They met in 62 in Boston, which is pretty remarkable. I think Louis passed away in 98 and they were together the entire time. That's one of those rare wrestling relationships. You know, we often make reference to the successful wrestling marriages because that's pretty uncommon, uh, but Arn Anderson's been married forever and ever. And at Patterson was sort of married forever and ever you and the missus have made it a long time. It's, just, it's rare, but Pat was with Louie from 62 to 98. Yeah. Longer, longer than a lot of marriages and, and happily as well. And it was. I think that Louie, you know, helped Pat get by, uh, help teach him English and just a lot about the United States in general. But, you know, Louie, I think also helped teach Pat an awful lot about life like he did with everybody. And Louie had such a way of talking that he could disarm anyone uh, just by by talking and, and had an infectious laugh as well that would just kind of bring you in and Louie could explain things in just the simplest of terms that you went, Oh, okay. Yeah, I get it. And, um, was a very special, was a very special person that, that loved Pat and kind of made it all complete. And Jim Cornette, you know, talked about that there was a time in WWE where I didn't, I didn't have a last name or Pat didn't have a last name. It was Bruce and Pat or Pat and Bruce. Yeah. Uh, we were always mentioned together in the same breath. Well, it was the same thing with Louie. You know, it was Pat and Louie. Yeah. And they had a special, just a very special bond and, and love that, that carried on for a hell of a long time. And it was, uh, it was really incredible, especially when you think about, living their lifestyle in the wrestling business in a macho business. The most hated jeweler in America is excited to introduce you to someone very special. She's beautiful, classy, and she's brilliant. She will dazzle you. People can't stop staring at her. Meet Krista. She's easy. Wait, what? Krista is Steven singers, most loved engagement ring and takes the stress and guesswork out of finding the perfect ring. A bright white, 100% eye flawless, near colorless, high quality, round, brilliant cut diamond 
expertly set into a classic solitaire Tiffany setting that will withstand the test of time. Krista is available. She's ready for love and ready to meet you. Steven Singer isn't in the jewelry business. He's in the love business. This magnificent full one carat round brilliant cut diamond is only $31.98. Real jewelry doesn't have to be expensive. Plus free shipping and 12 months interest-free financing. Steven's showroom is open by appointment only or go now to IHateStevenSinger.com and click on the Krista ready for love engagement ring. Steven Singer jewelers, real jewelry, real experts for your real love. That's I hate Steven Singer.com. Whether you rent or own Geico makes it easy to bundle home and car insurance. Having a home is hard work. So get a quote at Geico.com easy. I can't, uh, I can't believe this is real Bruce, but as you and I are recording right now, literally just a few moments ago, it was reported that Tony, or I'm sorry, Tommy tiny Lister Zeus has passed away at just 62 years old. Holy shit. I, uh, wow. Wow. That was a big part of my childhood and we had already had it on the, uh, I think we've even promoted it here on the show that one of our upcoming episodes, we had planned to do a no holds barred watch along. You know, we've even joked that the only thing better than a, well, I have a regular Christmas when you can have a no holds barred Christmas. Well, that's what we're still planning to do, but my goodness, I didn't hope it would be a memorial piece for Zeus, dude. Yeah, no kidding. You know, I, I'm, I'm sure I've told the story before of doing the live events with Zeus to promote no holds barred. The movie before the movie was coming out, I would do brother love shows. Uh, all over the country with tiny and my job was basically indoctrinate tiny to the business and, and get him through this stuff and go out and, and have a brother love show and an entertaining segment, but you're, you're getting Zeus over and, and teaching tiny to be Zeus 24 seven and, and everything. So we are in the ring in St. Louis. no, it doesn't matter where the fuck we were. We were in the ring and goddamn tiny has got so much heat and he's the people are going fucking nuts for him and all this shit. And he's just standing in the middle of the ring. And the only thing that he did well was, was slap himself and, and goddamn sweat would go everywhere. And I, he's standing there just standing and, and the heat is rising and I said, all right, big man. I said, go get over there on the, get on the second rope. I said, slap the living shit out of yourself. And I said, growl. I said, hit all four corners. And he's just standing there, not doing shit. I'm like, God, come on now. God damn it, Zeus. Let's go. Get up on the second rope. Knock the shit out of yourself. Growl at him. God. And I'm, I'm, I'm yelling at him. And he's not doing shit. And so finally, you know, I was like, God, well, fuck, let's go. We go back, we get back to the dressing room and he had a private dressing room and we walk in and I said, tiny, I said, Jesus Christ, man. I said, you got to listen to me out there when I'm telling you to do shit, you got to do it. And he looks me dead in the eye, just the one eye and says, Oh, were you talking to me? <laughs> Motherfucker, there were only two people in the ring. Who the fuck did you think I was talking to? 
But I, I just never forget that. He just looked me just dead in the eye. He goes, oh, you you were talking to me? But I, great guy. And he, he took a lot, he took a lot of abuse and ribbing in the locker room because he was an outsider. And, um, God damn, that's a shame. That sucks. That really sucks. You showed me the, what's the, the famous clip? What was the, the, the character that he portrayed with the guy with the bicycle? And- oh, Debo. Debo. You had yeah. never seen, I can't believe this is real folks, but years ago when Bruce and I were hanging out for like the, one of the first times he had never seen Friday had no record, not even a what's foggy Friday? idea what we were talking about. What's Friday? Exactly. Okay. Well, that was good. Debo made him cry. <laughs> I like that shit. I, uh, man. Let's, let's try to switch gears here. We'll talk about Zeus, uh, in a few weeks. My oh, goodness. Hey, well let's start. Let, okay. And I, I, I'm here. I'm going to take a left turn on you. You know how I, I told the story, I guess. And, and seriously, as I told you last night, I don't remember the show that we did last week. It just kind of, I guess was in his own and did it. And I told the story about sitting in Giovanni's with Pat, not being his type. Yeah. Well, I just want to let you know something, man. Oh, I have been, I have been, uh, told by several, several attractive gay men that I was their type and that they do, oh. man. Oh, God. just letting you know, I'm just letting you know, Connie, just because Efren tweeted you doesn't mean anything. Well, I've always known about Efren. I mean, that's look, that's a whole nother thing, man. Let's get back to Pat Patterson. Efren's my, my current day Pat Patterson. <laughs> he is honored by that, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. But no, I had others. <laughs> I had others. Not just one. Why are you bragging about this? God, goddamn attractive man, Connie. You got the taco meat out right now. What does that mean? It means that the top four buttons of your shirt are not buttoned. That's not true. Just two. And you're just letting that. Ch- no, there's that at mean- least three. Why did that one get him? See, exactly. <laughs> I don't know how that one got unbuttoned. This is the oh, worst. I yes, I do. But anyway. What what does that mean? Yes, you do. Did Why? You ha- I remember how I got unbuttoned. Did, I unbuttoned it. Did the missus come rub some Vicks vapor rub on you or something? Kill that Caroni? What's wrong with that? I don't, I don't understand the taco meat. What the fuck does that mean? Well, like, look at mine. Like, see, it's like, you know, you got that fair hair. I got the darker. It's your hair. hair. Yeah, but it's, it's darker. It looks. Never mind. All right. So. Andre the giant, uh, there was a great clip of, uh, and certainly some incredible pictures of Pat on Andre's shoulders that you guys showed in the tribute video for WWE. They had a, a great relationship, both, you know, Frenchmen, if you will, they both spoke French and both traveled the towns. And uh, a lot of times, uh, you would even have Pat driving the big van and Andre in the back, right? Um, Fuck yeah. And they were French Canadians. So they were able to speak French to one another and, and truly loved one another. So that it was a special relationship with uh, Pat and the boss, you know, one time in the old days when they used to do TV in, um, Allentown and Hamburg, Pennsylvania, there was this one hotel that they would all stay at. And Andre actually got to the point where Andre just drank too much and Andre started to go back to his room and decided that 
Brr, I'm sleepy. Giant sleepy. And Andre just laid down in the middle of the lobby where the uh, elevators were. Passed out. It's three o'clock in the morning. I'm tired. Ooh, I sleep here. So fucking Andre lays down. Like literally in the middle of the goddamn hotel. They try to wake him up. They try to wake him up. And Pat says, I fuck this. Pat goes in the restaurant, gets a couple of big tablecloths, and just lays the tablecloths over Andre. And they go, what the fuck are you going to do? I said, what the fuck am I going to do? What the fuck are you going to do? You tried to wake him. And Pat went to bed. And they said about 9.30 in the morning, Andre started started to wake up. Came to life, much to the chagrin of people in the hotel. But yeah, people had to walk around a giant draped in tablecloths. Talk just to another, just another night in the bar. It's interesting that another thing that Andre and Pat have in common is more than just speaking French and being in the wrestling business. They're both building blocks for Vince McMahon when he tries to take over and go national. Of course, Andre is going to be one of the great attractions going even back to Vince's father, but Pat Patterson is going to be sort of the brains behind the operation. I don't think that that maybe gets covered enough that it's two, two French guys. Well, I don't think that really matters as much. I mean, Pat was French Canadian and Andre was real French. France, French. There's a difference. There, there is definitely a difference. But by God, it was two of the biggest attractions in the in the business that we can we can thank the French people for. In Andre and Pierre Clermont, Pat Patterson, the the Lord Patrick Patterson for a while. I'll tell you all, you farmers out there. Now, let me ask you a question. Did you see the tribute that uh, WWE did for Pat Patterson? I did. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. So in the my way was used. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that was Sinatra singing. Sure. As well as Pat singing. Okay. I don't think Pat people actually knew that Pat was, was a singer and that Pat loved to sing. Oh, of course they know that. I, but I don't know that everybody knew that. Okay. We know that because Pat would come to our shows. And, and the, you remember early on, you wanted Pat. Remember I told you, I said, hey, I talked to Patterson. He's coming to the show. And you're like, fuck you. No, he's not. Sure. That's back when nobody would talk to me at WWE. <laughs> Wait, isn't that crazy that that wasn't that long ago? Yeah, last week. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe again next week. Maybe again next week. Who knows? But yeah, Pat, we were going to be in the same place at the same time. And, uh, he called to say hello. And I was like, Patrick, I'm doing these shows. Oh, what the fuck? I, uh, what the fuck's a podcast? And talk Pat into us. Well, why don't she come down? And he goes, Oh, I want to go do karaoke. And it hit me. I said, well, Pat come to karaoke at the show. And I figured it out at that moment, how we could get Pat to as many shows as we did. 
Just let him I sing. Would promi- I would promise Pat that he could sing. Yeah. And we made him sit through two hours of our show before we would give him a microphone and let him sing because he would have been there all night. In fairness, all- though, it was, you know, it was probably a bigger crowd than uh, than there was at the karaoke bar. And and that's what Pat lived for, right? Entertaining the oh, crowd. Oh, God. He, he absolutely loved it. And he would go, Pat would go on, on cruises. And it was the same story every time because Pat liked to go in and, and, and shock people love to do Louie Anderson is wonderful life and all that and our wonderful world, whatever the fuck it is. Okay. It's I'm over here having <sighs> beverages. Um, but Pat would go in and he, and he, he would tell the story about the cruise. He goes, oh, I would sit there and I would go, I want to go sing, but I don't know. I'm shy. I don't, I, I don't like to do it in front of people. And I would get the people around me and they go, no, Pat, you go up and you sing. You want to sing. It's okay. We're not going to judge you. And I say, ah, oh, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. He goes, and then I milk it along for about an hour or so. And then they finally, I have a few pops and I buy them a few drinks. They buy me a few drinks. And they go, come on, Pat, please sing. And then I go up there. And oh boy, let me tell you something. Oh boy, I felt out. Then I go into Louis Armstrong. They go, oh, they're crying, Bruce. I tell you, they're crying. And it would be the same. It would be the same fucking story every week. He'd come back from vacation, and he would he would work another group of people into thinking he was just this poor old man. Uh, out taking a cruise by himself, and uh, he's shy, but we're gonna bring it out of him and. Me. <laughs> do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work, but you know, what's easy bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or your renters insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. Let me, uh, I gotta ask, you've talked a lot about the karaoke stuff. Tell us some karaoke stories where you went to karaoke with him and and hypothetically, did Vince ever go? Actually? Yeah. We, Bobby Valentine's in Norwalk, man. They used to have the karaoke and that's kind of where it started with Pat because they would have, it was a sports bar in, in Norwalk. We used to go there because it was close. It was kind of in the middle of where Pat lived and where I lived. And, and Bobby Valentine used to come in all the time and sit with us and drink. And it was, it was a lot of fun and he would have karaoke on certain nights. And Pat loved to go watch the people, uh, make fools of themselves. But then the rib was, they would go put my name down on, you know, how you'd go up to the DJ sure. and you have to write your name down and shit. So they'd go put my name down and I would go up and make a fool out of myself. And, and at that time it was, you know, I didn't take it seriously, even though I'm a great singer. <laughs> my working hard on the go, but the hands on the clock keep spinning too slow. I can't wait to be alone with my baby tonight. So anyway, one day they put, he puts my fucking name on the thing and I get up there and this drunk girl (laughs) 
comes up on stage because I'm going to sing with you. And we sang that Olivia Newton, John, uh, uh, John Travolta thing. You're the one that I want. You're the one I want. Do, do, do. You're the one that I want. You know, it was Sandy saying her part and then another guy saying his part and back and forth. I was good. You know the song I'm thinking. I do. I know exactly which one you're talking about. And Summer loving happens so fast. What was Vince's song? Oh, he wouldn't get up there for shit. He would just sing a song. Hang on now. This is the same guy who did stand back, right? Yeah. Stand back. Stand back. Yeah. This is the guy. Baby, who... watch him drop. Baby, 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 watch him drop. Watch him drop. Stand back. Shake that ass, bitch. <laughs> this is the guy who dances on TV, drops his pants on TV. Uh, he's been humiliated in every possible way. Peed his pants on TV. But he's not going to sing in a bar of 30 people. No, Shane and I, Shane and I sang, Shane and I got thrown out of karaoke at Bobby Valentine's. What do you got to do to get thrown out of karaoke? I'll tell you what you got to do. Um, Aerosmith. No, not Aerosmith. Um, Bon Jovi, Slippery Wind Wet, uh, on, our, on Steel Horse I Ride. I've seen him, at you know, so it gets to the I've seen a million faces and I've rocked them all. Well, I always used to change that line to, well, I've seen a million faces and I fucked them all. And that'll get you thrown out of karaoke. Well, but you're a heel. So you were, you know, fucking over the faces. Yeah, but we got thrown out. Well, that's not fair. They just don't. I wasn't done. (laughs) Uh, let's talk about, uh, old school wrestling again in his book. Pat would say that he thought Roy Shire, Eddie Graham, and Dory Funk Sr. were on the short list of wrestling geniuses. I want to come back to that, but first, let me continue. He says, there are many other good painters out there, but don't get me wrong. Not everybody can be a Picasso, but Ray Stevens, as far as a wrestling performance goes, also has a place on that short list. He got it right, and he got it right all the time. It seemed like everything came to him naturally, and that he never had to struggle to learn anything. Sean Michaels might be the best comparison I can give you to understand how good Ray Stevens was. Ray was a prodigy. Um, he also tells a story that once upon a time in the San Francisco territory, <laughs> unbelievably Ray was voted most hated wrestler of the year. And the same year he won most popular wrestler of the year. So Ray Stevens was one of a kind and one of Pat's very best friends in wrestling. And their tag team, we talked about a little bit last week, but man, I got blown up with people looking for recommendations for Pat Patterson, Ray Stevens matches. What can you tell us about Ray Stevens and their duo, man? God damn. They, they were the best and Ray Stevens and Pat Patterson, because they came through Houston, uh, a couple of times, but for whatever, I tell you how good they were was that my mother who took us to wrestling every week and her favorite was Johnny Valentine, but anybody else she really didn't care about. However, Ray Stevens and Pat Patterson, she never forgot and thought that they were two of the most handsome wrestlers she had ever seen, but thought that they were the most exciting and the best wrestlers she had ever seen. They had that kind of impact. Ray Stevens was an absolute natural, could do anything and everything and do it 
without he could be drinking all night long, all day long, and go in the ring and steal the show. The here's the difference between the two. Pat could do the same thing. Pat would tell you that he had to work at it. Difference is Ray couldn't tell you how he did what he did. Right. Ray couldn't tell you why he did what he did. Ray just in the moment did what he did better than anybody else. Pat had to think about it, but Pat could tell you why he did every single move in every single match. Now, and, and you're going to try and stop me, but I'm going to clean it up. It's okay. Pat, in our, the first time that Pat was with us at a show, Pat told a story. Oh, God. Okay. And Pat is working with Ray Stevens. Pat had just turned babyface. The two of them had been tag team partners. And Ray Stevens is the heel. But let me and give Pat, context here. Okay. You and I are hearing this story on stage with a live mic in front of, I don't know, 600 paying super supportive, super psyched to be there. Something to wrestle fans. And I don't know, 2017, maybe 2018. And we're just happy that Pat's there. And he asks if he can tell a story. And of course we say, sure, here you go. So Pat's telling the story about him and Ray working in San Francisco and Pat had just turned baby face and Ray gets him in the corner and Ray is on Pat. It bing, a bing, and then a bang, a bing, and beat the shit out of me in the corner. And there's one guy we hear in the crowd and he stands up and goes, Hey Stevens, you're a and called Ray a derogatory F word. Yeah. An F word, an F word. We will not repeat on this uh, show because it was not appropriate. But Pat said and, this into a microphone <laughs> and the audience goes dead <gasps> silent. Yeah. Conrad and I are looking at each other going, what the fuck? And then there was that pregnant pause and Pat, Looks around and I mean, dead silence. He goes, I looked at Ray and I said, boy, if they only knew. And the fucking crowd explodes. Yeah. I try to tell that story. <laughs> Our next show. Hey, Pat Patterson told a story. I got dead silence and it remained <laughs> dead silent. And Connor is like, Bruce, don't, don't ever tell that story. Either. Please. It, what's so yeah. funny is when, when we finished last week, I'm telling Silva afterwards, I'm like, Hey man, I think that's going to be one of our best shows we ever did. He said, Oh, Pat's got so many great stories with Bruce. And then a few minutes later, he says, Hey, did he tell the, no, he didn't tell that story. What do you, we can't tell that story. No, that's and, and so, and so yeah, I segue that into Pat and Ray. And Pat would tell these fucking stories about traveling with Ray Stevens. Now, Ray Stevens was a whore. No other way to say it. Ray, Ray I mean, loved. I, he was a playboy. Ray was a playboy, man. Ray loved to party. Ray loved to fight. And Ray loved to fuck. And Ray, like, didn't give a shit. He wasn't turning anything down but the covers. So Ray Stevens used to, he's traveling with Pat. So he would say, Hey Pat, I got this girl tonight, but I need, I need you to take care of the mom for me. And Pat would be like, okay, Ray, 
I'll take I'll take care of her. I'll you know buy her drinks or whatever. He goes, no, nah, I need you to take care of her for me, Pat. And ah, oh, boy, I don't want to know. It's disgusting. I don't want to touch it. That a face. But Pat would do his part, you know, from time to time to appease Ray. <laughs> and after a while, he was like. You take care of your own thing. I'll do my thing. You, I don't ask you to go and take care of somebody's father for me. So don't ask me to take care of somebody's mother for you. That was, that was the kind of relationship they had. But Pat, you know, hey, man, Pat took one for the team every once in a while. I'm glad you used that phrase. Meltzer wrote in his obituary, which, by the way, I highly recommend. I don't know that you read it. I know you hate Pat. I mean, I know yeah, you hate. Yeah, I wouldn't read anything that God. He, he, he put him over real strong. I think he'd like it. Here's one of the paragraphs though. The two became close friends talking about Pat and Ray close enough that Patterson on occasion would quote unquote, take one for the team since Stevens loved chasing women. And sometimes the women that he chased had friends. There was a famous story in that period when Stevens was dating Ann Calvello, a legendary roller derby heel. She had a reputation for being tremendous in bed. And for being with famous athletes after her breakup with Charlie O'Connell, the biggest star in roller derby, she was actually the most popular female skater on the Bay bombers who were at their peak in the sixties, beating Bonanza, the top rated TV show in the country, head to head on Sunday night in the ratings. After her breakup with O'Connell, O'Connell went to promoter Jerry Seltzer and said that she goes or he goes. O'Connell was his biggest star and Seltzer forced Calvello off the bombers. And she had to skate as a heel and then became the top heel in the game. Fast forward, Cavello has her own touring schedule, but when they have free time, all three hang out, Pat Patterson, Ray Stevens, and Ann. And they're pretty big TV celebrities at the time. So everybody knows when they're hanging out and everybody knows about this Stevens Cavello relationship. Well, eventually there's a famous story where, um, she claims to have gotten Pat Patterson as the story goes, Ray passed out drunk. And Calvello was not going to not have sex that night. So her only choice was Patterson who had no interest as the story went, she punched him to tell him she was serious and he acquiesced. And by the way, as crazy as this sounds, he told Ric Flair and I have the same story at a bar in St. Louis in 2014, which is just make believe. Nope. You're going to do it. Or I'm going to beat your ass. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, let's go. Close his eyes and pretend it's, you know, Rock Hudson or whatever. Oh, listen to you. What's wrong what? with you? What? No, I'm, I'm telling you. Uh, but Ann Cavello used to come come to the shows. Really? Yeah. Oh, fuck yes, man. And still look good in her, <laughs> in her later years. <laughs> so you were like nudging Pat. Man, I can't believe you. Damn it. Introduce me. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Hey, so anyway, maybe, uh, yeah, I was my younger days. Just, you know, just what I'm saying, but absolutely. And, and Pat, Oh God, it would, he would tell these, these stories. And I, I can't, I can't tell the, the best one about the, there, there was a, a young lady in Australia that ran like the hotel and stuff. And, and, and Pat was going to take one for the team one night because, because she was so good to everybody and she loved Pat 
that she thought she could, you know, bring him to the other side. And he said he tried. <laughs> he was like, ah, oh, I tried. I, I, I get down there and I look and out of pace. I can't. <laughs> and he just couldn't do it. Bless his heart. Let's talk a little bit about Pat, the wrestler. He first comes to the, back then everybody called the company New York. So he first comes to New York and they want to put him right away against the champion, Bob Backlund. This is in 79. He, he mentioned Bob in a very, very favorable way, uh, in his hall of fame speech that I watched last week. And we've often talked about Bob as sort of the transitional guy. I mean, he was champion for a long time, but it felt like business was super hot with Bruno. It maintained and maybe dipped a little bit with Bob Backlund, but the next big run for the company is going to be with Hulk Hogan. What did, what was that relationship like with Pat and Bob? At first, you know, it was, I don't know that, that Bob necessarily trusted Pat because, you know, Bobby was an incredible amateur wrestler and Bob was the champion in the garden. And I think that some people believe Bob was made champion to prove a point to Bruno San Martino. And as time went on, Bobby had his own following there. And the challenge was who can, who can have a great match with Bob Backlund. And I think that Pat looked at that and saw an opportunity with Bobby being similar size. Pat wasn't the biggest guy in the world, but the way that Pat worked and he was a nasty heel that Pat actually got, normally you would get one shot at the champ, maybe two. Some guys got three. Pat got four out of Backlund. That was a record, by the way. No one had gotten a world title shot four times to further explain what you were saying. You know, they're going to try you challenging for the title on top. If you're a good draw, maybe you'll get a second time, uh, but you've got to keep those sellouts going. And if you're drawing really strong houses, they'll keep doing it. But when it starts to taper, they're going to move on to the next challenger. And they went with Pat, not once, not twice, not three times, but four times, which was a record at the time. Right. Then the crazy thing about it was when you, you look back at New York in the time, the managers just made TV. So you had Fred Blassie, Albano, the Grand Wizard. Those guys, they only appeared on TV, and they didn't go to all of the live events, but they all made the garden. However, all they did in the garden was they would walk out with whoever they managed, and then they would come back to the dressing room before the match started. So you never had, like every other territory, you didn't have a manager that stayed at ringside. Too much heat. Oh my God, you can't have a manager at ringside. There's just too much heat. And Pat convinced Vince Sr. to allow the Grand Wizard to stay at ringside for their third match and everything. And he was also uh, able to stay there and had uh, Skolan in Backlund's corner. And it was just incredible, just the business that they did, the fact that he was able to come back and do it uh, four times. And, and that's also where you, you get to the, to the pat, the double knockouts and don't move. And they're like a douchebag and you, you fucking lay still, not the, don't move a pinky. And for the, for the boys that heard that and would, would go back and tell me how much they loved 
you know, Pat explaining that to him and how antsy it is when you're a performer and you're in the middle of the ring and you're laying there and you hear the audience all around you. And instinct is you want to move. You want to start selling. You want, you want to make some kind of movement. You're full of adrenaline. Yeah. But if you just lay there and you don't move a muscle, the swell of the audience that comes up and you can feel that audience get hotter and hotter and hotter because nothing's happening and they're anticipating now it's who's going to move first. And he goes back to Backlund and Pat talks about, you know, screaming at Backlund in the ring, don't fucking move. And how Bobby just was just, almost couldn't help himself, but did and came back afterwards. Like that was the most incredible feeling ever. So it was, you know, Pat working with Backlund, Pat with Sergeant Slaughter. Holy shit. Their, their boot camp match that they had, which is one of the greatest matches you'll ever see. It, it was just pure magic because of, of the heat that Sarge had. Pat by that time was a baby face. But it was like, holy shit, it, it, it hadn't been done. And people in, in the New York area, in the garden, whether they realized it or not, they were seeing history with Pat doing the first time having a four, four returns in a row with the champion. It was history. That was Pat. That was Pat's idea. Those were Pat's finishes that he came up with, with the old man, as he says. And, and constantly would even then be thinking of different ways to coming up with finish, not just for himself, but for other guys on the card. Right in the middle of this series of matches with Bob Backlund is when, uh, Pat becomes the first intercontinental champion. And you've told a hilarious story before about why this fictitious tournament happened where it happened. First, I guess, explain. You know, I know you weren't there, but you know, the story, the reason the intercontinental title was created, uh, number one, number two, how easy it was to explain how there was a new belt back then. And number three, the real reason it happened where it quote unquote happened. Well, they created this new championship. They had North American championship needed something bigger than North American, hence the intercontinental championship. But the they were just creating a championship and needed a champion. So Pat was going to be the first intercontinental champion. Okay. But he's got to basically debut the belt and this new championship. So Vince junior, uh, when they're talking about, well, how, how do we, how do we do this? This is uh, simple. We have a tournament. Okay. But we don't actually have to have a tournament. It's just there's we tell them about a tournament that <laughs> that took place somewhere. And you you've got to understand that in the 70s and it, it was a simpler era, maybe a more innocent era. We didn't have internet. You people weren't as worldly as they are now. And you're geography <laughs> and history is what you learned in school and what you retained. So to an audience in New York and in the Northeast, 
you could name any far away, you know, like Tunisia. I wonder, nobody knows where the fuck Tunisia is. <laughs> but it sounds exotic. Oh, God. All right. Uh, you know, when, when Mark Lewin used to talk about Singapore and, and Kevin Sullivan talking about he would just make up names and shit of, of faraway places. Uh, you know where Oil Trough, Texas? You know where Oil Trough, Texas is? No. Okay, you know where Dallas is, right? Yeah. Okay, it's nowhere near there. Anyway, you uh, you have these these places that this shit happened that they just explained. And Pat, with his French accent, had a hard time pronouncing words sometimes. Sure. So Vince gave him the, the he says, where did I win the title? He says, Rio de Janeiro. And Pat says, what? Rio de Janeiro. Rio Janeiro. What? And the more that Pat would butcher the name, the more that Vince would insist. It has to be now. Tell pe- yeah. He would tell people. Now, Patrick, uh, Pat Patterson, the new Intercontinental Champion. Uh, Pat, tell us uh, about this tournament. Where was the tournament held? <laughs> and... Yeah, it was, it was uh, Rio. <laughs> and Pat just shortened everything to Rio because he couldn't say De Janeiro. To, I, to the day he passed, he couldn't say De Janeiro. And by, space. I mean, I wasn't in Rio. Uh, fuck you. The most hated jeweler in America makes holiday shopping easy. Steven Singer has the perfect gift for that special someone who's the center of your universe. The one who your whole world revolves around that person. Who's the star of your love story. Show her it's her with Steven's brand new exclusive star of love diamond necklace. Picture it a star necklace covered in real sparkling diamonds with an open heart in the center. This beautiful necklace is just $128 plus fast and free shipping in time for Christmas. Great jewelry doesn't have to be expensive. Buy real jewelry from a real jeweler you can trust. Steven Singer is not in the jewelry business. He's in the love business. It's easy. Go now to IHateStevenSinger.com and click on the Star of Love Diamond Necklace. Steven's real expert jewelers are available seven days a week to help you. In his showroom at the other corner of the 8th and Walnut in Philly, by appointment only, or through email, chat, phone text, or virtual video appointments, Real jewelry, real experts for your real love. That's I hate Steven singer.com. Hey, by the way, really cool little tribute that you guys did to him last week on uh, SmackDown showing the first intercontinental title and all that. I think a lot of, uh, people on Twitter wanted to say, Hey man, they should, you know, whenever they need to crown a new champion, they should have a, a, a Pat Patterson Memorial intercontinental title tournament or something, but it was really cool to see as a belt nerd, you know, how different the belts looked, you know, back then to now. And for that to be there on that night, pretty cool. Yeah. I've got that belt sitting in my office. Well, there you go. You want to see it? I would love to see it. Okay. I'll show you one day. It's um, in the office at the office, not the office here. Right. His you office. got many offices now. I got many offices. I got, a you got a TV office. Gigantic. Christmas tree here. Yeah, I got, I got, I got this office. I got that office out there where the Christmas tree is. I got the office in the office. Then you got the office in the sky. I got the office in the skizzy. And you got the office of TV. I got the office of TV. 
Hey, this is your, I know we're not talking about new stuff, but you're getting a new office tomorrow, right? <laughs> I guess I am. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. Uh, after yeah. all of these, uh, matches that he's had, uh, with, uh, with Bob Backlund. And I think these matches are some of the things that Pat was most proud of in his WWE career. He had that famous match that I think a lot of our listeners watched for the last time or, or for the first time last week against uh, Sergeant Slaughter. I mean, it really was a pretty remarkable match. And, and I've, I've seen interviews since where he talked about how he couldn't believe watching that match back all the crazy stuff he did. Um, that was a pretty revolutionary match at the time. Was it not Sarge and, and Pat and MSG? Uh, definitely. I think, I think the, the blood and guts aspect of it and, and no rules, no referee and all that shit. It, it was different. And Pat loved to do that. He loved to create something that you hadn't seen before. Put a new twist on something instead of having a Texas death match or a cage match, come up with this boot camp match and do all kinds of gaga and at a pace. Um, and people to this day, I think, still go back and go, holy shit, man. Uh, Patterson and Sarge in the garden in the boot camp match. And Sarge wearing the white singlet that was just covered in blood by the end of it. And just pure magic. It, it was little things that Patterson did. Like, if you ever watch him when he throws a punch, every punch Pat would rear back and throw the fucking punch. Pat didn't pull Pat threw punches, which was the beauty of his work and what he did. Everything meant something. And if you're going to do it, do it better than anybody else. Let's, uh, let's give everybody the date. If they want to go watch it, May 4th, 1981. It's an alley fight in Madison square garden. Meltzer would note in the obituary last week, it was one of the earliest tape trader classics. And, uh, it's also been mentioned that right before his death, like in the last week or two, they showed it at the performance center right before NXT started and they played the entire match on the screens and the building was cheering. Like they were seeing it really for the first time. And, uh, it was a blood, a bloodbath, easy for me to say, but it won a match of the year that year. And. Uh, even Howard Finkel called it one of the greatest matches in Madison square garden history. So go out of your yeah, way. It, and, and I got to correct myself. I called it a boot camp match. It was really an alley fight that later on became Sarge's boot camp match, but yes, either way that match happens when, when Pat was actually already starting to do commentary and we didn't spend a lot of time talking about Pat as a commentator last week, we spent a lot of time talking about him as a as a singles performer and as a tag team wrestler, and certainly as a behind the scenes figure, but let's talk about Pat, the commentator. Did you get to see much of his work on commentary? He was the shits. And, and Vince used to, used to love to, to throw shit to him. And when you go back and they used to do interviews with the talent at ringside. So. Vince would a lot of times take the guys that, that could talk and, and carry an interview, you know, all you got to do is stick a microphone in front of Morocco and, and he, he goes off for 10 minutes, but Pat used to love to give, I mean, Pat, Vince used to love to give Pat 
Bruno and Backlund and Frankie Williams and the guys that couldn't talk their way out of a brown paper bag and go, okay, Pat, you got five minutes. You're interviewing Backlund. Go. What's that? I'm here with WWF champion Bob Backlund. Bob, you got a big, big match coming up with Morocco. What are your thoughts? Well, I'm I'm real excited about uh, facing Don Morocco. Um, he's a real tough competitor, and uh, I, I I I think I can beat him. Uh, so anything that uh, you have have studied with with. With, with your opponent, Don Morocco. Uh, he's, he's, he's very tough, and, and uh, I'm going to look out for that Asiatic spike. Yes, sir. <laughs> you can just see Pat. They're a minute in, and Pat has used up everything he's got. Right. And has no fucking where, not, not a clue. And it is some of the most entertaining in a really bad way shit to watch to just go back and watch him get through some of these interviews. And then on the contrary, you know, he would put him with uh, Albano and Albano would just be smashed out of his mind and be going off and running all around. And Pat could never get any of his shit out because Albano's spewing off at the mouth about a beanie BB in a canary's brain and all this other shit and didn't have a fucking clue. But the other thing about it is, is, is during that time, this is a good Pat Patterson rib, is, is Albano and Freddie Blassie traveled together. Now, Fred Blassie was a fashion plate in real life, man. Freddie was dressed to the nines. Freddie did not do anything or go anywhere without his hair being perfect, his clothes being perfect, his car was immaculate. You didn't eat in his car. You didn't drink in his car. You didn't sweat in his car. Your hands, you had to shower before you got into his car. Um, no liquor in the car, no nothing, all right? And Albano traveled with Freddie. Oh, God. So Freddie, Albano would be on last TV, and Freddie... Because they were heels, motherfucker. Freddie would back the car up <laughs> to the back door, motor running, and be ready. All Albano had to do was walk his last guy to the ring and come back and and uh, go right right out the back door and get in Freddie's car. But, but God damn it! But God damn it, Lou! You know, go take a shower before you go out for the last match. Put on clean shit and. Get right out to the car. And so Pat, knowing this, Albano, uh, and Albano was was probably drunk as shit, and he's going around doing all of his stuff. And as the match is, is finishing up and they're ready to come back and all that stuff, Pat has a big fucking uh, cup of Coke at the desk where they're doing commentary. And he goes, hey! And throws the Coke on Lou. Oh. So Lou now is covered in Coke, but Lou can't stop there. Lou starts taking bumps all on the floor and shit and trying to get up. 
Now he's into the crowd and he's slipping in a filthy floor. And he's slipping in beer and shit and popcorn and all this other crap. And he's covered. And fucking Pat gets a beer from somebody and throws the beer on him. And then, hurry up, Lou. Goddamn, you gotta go. Freddy's waiting for you. And Lou gets up all disheveled and shit, reeking and fucking dripping with fucking soda and, and beer and popcorn and shit and jumps into Freddy's car. And Freddy's got to cuss him out for 10 minutes <laughs> before he takes off because now Lou's fucking up his nice clean car. And Pat would just, ah, Chase, and then talk Freddy into giving Lou a ride the next night and do the same thing. <laughs> Lou didn't disappoint, man. Lou would fucking just uh, give him an inch. He'll take 10 miles. At one time, I, 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 I'm sorry. I'm fucking going off again. One one time when Lou came back with us with, with the head shrinkers and shit, and Lou was, was coming back around, we were doing a lot of our TV in the Northeast. So Lou really wanted to do something with us. And he would he would come to me constantly. Hey kid, hey kid, uh, can can you get me in with Vinny? Can you get me in with Vinny? I want to talk to him. I got an idea. I can do this thing with the tag team champions. You know, I manage more tag team champions than anybody in the world. All this stuff. Hey, kid, if you just get me in. So I would try to avoid that and and just say, Hey Lou, man, you know, right now we're not doing anything. Well, Vince would send Lou to like me. And Lou would come to Vince and corner Vince and, and say, hey, Vinny, Vinny, I got this. He goes, talk to Bruce. Go, give it, yeah, Good idea, Lou. No, it sounds like a great idea. Go talk to Bruce. I'm trying to run a fucking show. This is in the middle of live shows and shit. And Lou would come up and sit down and start talking to me and, and pitching. I go, Lou, I, I, now's not a good time, man. He was like, Vinny told me to talk to you, kid. So this goes on a little bit to where finally – particularly busy night Vince sends it sent Lou to me. Well, Vince is doing commentary live. Tell you how I remedy that fucking deal. I sent Lou out to Vince in the commercial break. There you go. I said, I said, hey, what's that? Okay. Yeah. I'll send him out right now, Vince. And I sent Lou. Out. I said, he wants to talk to you at ringside. I think he wants you to do color on the next match. Just sit down with him. Lou, put the headset on and just call color in the next match. What's he going to do? We're live. So Lou, I'll be, <laughs> did color and I got the fuck you, Bruce. <laughs> he didn't send Lou Albano to me anymore. Let's talk about uh, bad news. Allen for a minute here. I think one of his last, uh, big major things he does with the company, as far as in ring is he's teaming with bad news. Allen for the annual Madison square garden tag tournament. What was his relationship like with bad news? Cause they had worked together even back in California in the late seventies. And it was in the observer that bad news may have been the first person to call attention to, uh, Pat's preferences in a promo where he trying to get heat, of course, and it's a different time referred to Pat as a quote unquote, he, she, I assume there was no heat about that. And those guys were still friendly as far as you knew. Oh, absolutely they were. And Pat was one of the ones that had suggested bad news to come in when he did in the 80s. Um, you go back in, in one of the promos that, that Pat used to cut when he would go to Minneapolis and different things. He had a uh, jacket 
that had uh, oranges and shit all over it. And Pat would talk about, I come from California where we have the, the, the greatest fruits in the world. We have the freshest oranges. We have the freshest. All of our fruits are better than any other fruits anywhere in the world. Mm. Little double entendre, but it was one of Fats, Fats, one of Pat's favorite promos. And when I had the opportunity to grab a couple of jackets, um, he had the orange jacket. I almost grabbed it just for that story. Because it was, he would always tell the story about being the freshest fruits and the best fruits come from California. <laughs> Talk to me a little bit about um, Montreal for a minute, because it's written that in the early '80s, when uh, Andre owned piece of the the Montreal territory, he was going to sell it to Pat, but ultimately uh, his shares to Pat. But ultimately, they went to Dino Bravo. How different do you think? wrestling could have been, I'm not saying that it would have wound up any different, but it is interesting to think about Pat Patterson, perhaps becoming a partial owner in another territory, right? Yeah. And it was a uh, Montreal, you know, the, the unfortunate thing about Montreal was it had so many different owners, right? And so many guys that had a piece of that pie and that were involved in that. And it's probably one of the best things that ever happened to Pat, not not doing that and getting involved in it. But yeah, there, there were, you look at Georgia and the, the wrestlers, Jack and Jerry Briscoe owned a portion of it. Paul Jones owned, owned a portion of it. Uh, Ole had a portion of it. It's just different guys that Barnett, you know, all, all these different guys. And it never, I think all those partnerships usually ended in disaster. Oh yeah. Talk to me a little bit about, and I know this is switching gears a little bit, but We've often said here on the show, well, you know, Montreal was different. Let's talk about that for a moment. And Montreal being different. What was his relationship like with some of the, the other Montreal talents that we know, whether it's Dino Rougeau, Rick Martel was Pat tight with those guys as well. Yeah. They all stuck together and maybe I don't know if it was the same in Montreal because a lot of times there appeared to be quite a bit of jealousy and infighting mm. amongst themselves mm. in Montreal. However, when you take them out, those guys kind of looked after each other and, and watched each other's back. So that, that was interesting. And, and it was, it was evident, you know, there was before there was the click, there was the quote Montreal click and, People, you know, felt that, well, they've got all this power and shit. It was no different. The names just change. Cup of Joe's is home to over 50 brands of cigars, including your favorites like Monte Cristo, Acid, Java, Davidoff, Rocky Patel, Kristoff, and more. Whether you're looking to try new cigars and singles, or maybe get a whole box. We've got you covered with great prices and excellent customer service. Check out our page right now at cupofjoes.com forward slash podcast for exclusive deals just because you listen to something to wrestle. Now you can also email info at cupojoes.com to reach our cigar specialists. If you will, our cigars are carefully stored in a beautiful walk-in humidor to ensure that your cigars are fresh and humidified. They also have lighters, cutters, and other cigar accessories available. You got to go check this out. And this is a great, I can't emphasize this enough. Great Christmas present. 
If you've got a cigar smoker, an aficionado, if you will, in your life, or maybe someone who has been talking about getting into it, hit home run at cupojoes.com forward slash podcast. That's C-U-P-O-J-O-E-S.com, cupofjoes.com forward slash podcast. It's uh, It was a hit in my family. It'll be a hit in yours too. Cupofjoes.com forward slash podcast. Get a great deal. Some great brands from our friends at cupofjoes.com forward slash podcast. Let's talk a little bit about uh, some different folks that were really synonymous with Pat. We touched on Jerry Briscoe a little bit last week, and I think most everyone remembers their famous run and maybe most notable run during the attitude era as the stooges. And boy, you guys had a lot of fun with some silly moments there. They had a match in drag. Um, they had Hogan, they had Hogan's music playing and he comes out with like an iron on shirt that says first I see champ and he's doing the big poses. Pat and Jerry were having the time of their life in that era. Were they not? They were because they were entertainers. And I think some of the guys might look at that and go, I would never want to do that. Pat embraced it. Jerry embraced it. It's why it was so damn good. It's why it had the highest rating in raw history because they went out and they had fun with it. And it's like, oh, that base will be the stooges and we'll go have fun with it. Um, you know, when Pat did the, did the stink face and they took Pat's pants off, it was, he had his underwears on, not underwear, underwears. And you always knew how he put them on because it was yellow in front, brown in the back. And at a pace, it was my favorite joke. That's a case. And, uh, it was like Pat's favorite joke about the, the swimming pool. Whenever anybody would come over to Vince's house and for whatever reason, um, Vince had two thermometers in the pool to, to tell the temperature. And <laughs> you've Rick told White me people, this, you know, you've told me uh, this story before. Yeah. And, and Pat would, he goes, ah, oh, that face, look at him. He's, he's, he's so rich. He got two thermometers. One to tell how hot it is. One to tell how cold it is. Ah! And would laugh his fucking ass off. Talk to me a little bit about guys that he would, he would push for. We know famously that Pat Patterson is one of the key figures who talks Vince and correct the rumor and innuendo. Cause I said, we know maybe, maybe we have wrong information here, but it's been said a lot that Pat Patterson is one of the guys who has Vince's ear and says, you gotta go with Brett. You gotta go with Sean and somebody else that I didn't know that he was pushing for was Ray Mysterio was Pat Patterson important to the, the quote unquote push of Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels and Rey Mysterio. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I think that Sean wouldn't have been in the position that Sean was in, had it not been for Pat advocating for him and both Pat and I for, for so long, <laughs> just felt we had a baby face on our hands in Shawn Michaels. The, the audience loved him because he was just so fucking good. And Pat would, as I've often said, sometimes you have to be careful about how hard you may push for a talent because it could have a negative and adverse effect on that talent. And I think that we pushed so hard for Shawn that Vince had an adverse reaction. He'll never be a baby face. But Pat never gave up. 
if right. Pat believed in you, he, he would fight for it and uh, was a big advocate. He, Pat loved Brett's work and thought that, that Brett was great, just thoroughly enjoyed his work and pushed for, for Brett big time. As far as Ray winning the Royal Rumble, it was something that Pat pushed for from the standpoint no one would ever believe this little guy uh, is going to win the Royal Rumble. And it was a beautiful story. The timing was right. And they did believe it. You know why they believed it? Because they saw it. Mm. So, by God, it, you know, it was, it was there. And, and Pat was, you know, you, you look at the early years of the formation of Titan Sports and the influence that Pat had working with Vince, um, you just hand in hand, you know, there, there was George Scott that worked directly with Vince and helping put matches together and everything. Pat was a road agent at the time. And then Vince was looking to make a change and Pat just was in the right place at the right time. Vince needed help. Pat offered his help. And before you knew it, Pat was moving to Sanford and helping Vince all the time. There was a, a funny story that when Vince made Pat uh, vice president, I don't think we called it talent relations then. I forget what the hell we called it, but maybe wrestling operations, who the hell knows. And Vince and Linda took Pat out to dinner. And I said, Pat, I want to let you know that uh, we, we made a decision, a company decision, and and Linda and I would like to name you vice president of wrestling operations or whatever it is. And Pat sat there for a minute and said, okay, I don't know what the fuck that is, but okay, if you want to do it, fine. And Vince looks at Linda and says, see, I told you he wouldn't get it. He wouldn't, you know, doesn't understand how important that is and, and, and what that means. And Pat looks at him and says, what the fuck? He goes, ah, it's a title. It's a belt. You put it on me, you can take it off of me. Out of face. It's a work. Hey, I don't know. Uh, vice president. Yeah, great. Who cares? You know? <laughs> and that's the way Pat was. You know, titles were a prop. It was not important to him. It, it was, I think that he was proud of it, but it wasn't like, you know, there are people in... They live for the title. They live for the title, man. We used to have, and I forget one one of the uh, a marketing person, and, and it was a female came up to me the first time that I met her and introduced herself to me as, "Hello, I am the uh, senior vice president of marketing." I went, "Hello, senior." Yeah. Um. She never gave me her name. Right. She gave me her title. I'm like, do you have a name? It's, it's, it's funny. And, and the, uh, Pat didn't, Pat didn't buy into that. He was like, I just want to do my job. I just want to have fun. I want to go on at a pace and then create a little, it's like, it's like you, you're making a soup and you put, I like, I like to put a little pepper in my soup and then you put the noodles, you put the chicken. Sometimes I put the fucking meatball in right in the soup. You got too many fucking guys in here putting in all the fucking ingredients. Your soup tastes like shit. I want to cook my soup my way. And then Pat had the, the, the famous analogy that used to drive Vince banana was 
when we would reach a point of disagreement and you're kind of at a stalemate, I want this guy to go over. Well, I want that guy to go over. I think this is a better idea. I want to do it this way. I want to do it that way. And when Pat would get to the point of frustration where we're, get, we're not getting anywhere, he goes, it's like ice cream. It's all ice cream. You like chocolate? I like vanilla. Pick a fucking flavor. And you just drive Vince crazy. He goes, it's not fucking ice cream, goddammit. And he goes, Vince, it's all the same. It's entertainment. It's wrestling. At a pace. You like it this way? I like it that way. It's still the same fucking shit. We just like it a different way. So yours is good. Mine's good. I don't know. Fucking Bruce likes strawberry. He fucking likes the fruits. <laughs> That's you look at those simple analogies. They all make sense. I mean, I've been wondering, should I even bring this up? But you've told me a, a famous story. I don't know. The late nineties, we'll call it 97, 98. There was uh, a celebrity tape that was on pay-per-view that everybody was talking about. Oh God. And there was a famous story that sometimes we would tease and you'd be like, oh, I can't do that. But you did do it on a few live shows and. I, you know, he clearly was there for the joke and I don't know. Do you feel comfortable sharing that story now? No. Yeah, it was, you know, it, it, it's, it, it was funny because Jerry Briscoe and Pat Patterson and I traveled up and down the highways for so many years. And, and, um, we, we, there's just such a love and, and, and Pat, Pat, Jerry, and I, we talked about everything. Nothing was off limits. And, it just was a, a brotherhood and, and we, we loved fucking with each other. Uh, we loved ribbing each other. We loved, you know, busting balls and, and what have you. And we were staying actually in Houston at the Sofitel hotel near the airport. And we're going back and forth. I think San Antonio and Austin or something like that, but we were based in Houston. And the first day we, we get in the car and, uh, Jerry and I are talking and Pat's in the back seat and, and I said, Hey man, you know, what movies did you watch last night? And we were talking about our movies that we watched. And, uh, he's like, Oh, you got to pay for that. I said, no, no, Pat. I said, the, the Spectre vision in the hotel, um, it's all free. It's, they've got all that stuff, but like the little thing on your, you can watch whatever you want on there. I said, even the, the X-rated stuff, it's all free. And, uh, at the time, there was a famous celebrity tape out of Pam Anderson and Tommy Lee, um, very famous sex tape that, that had leaked out, and that was on the SpectreVision in the hotel. And so Pat, so he goes, ah, even the X-rated uh, movies and everything, right? I said, yeah. And he says, well, what do they have good? I said, I don't know. I mean, but they got the, the Pamela Lee, Tommy Lee uh, tape. And Pat asked me, I'm going to clean it up. Uh, Pat asked me, you know, what he says. So this, uh, this Tommy Lee, uh, how's his private part? <laughs> I'm like, uh, I don't know, Pat. I mean, I, I, it's big. That's all I know. Man. I was like, 
fucking it's like a horror. It's big. So anyway, we we travel on. We we were we were unmercifully fucking with Pat on this particular trip about a lot of things. But we get back to the hotel that night. He can't wait to get away from me and Briscoe. And I said, hey, Pat, don't forget, the movies are free in the room. Okay. So. And by the, the way, we morning, should mention the movies are not free. It's going to be on his bill. You're fine. No, they were free. Really? They actually were free. Oh, I thought that was the best part of the rib. <laughs> he no, had to pay for the shit too. No, he, he wouldn't know. It was, it was like, all you did was go to the channel and like, they were up, they were free. And, um, so we get in the car the next morning and we're driving along and I'm like, Hey Patrick, did you watch any movies last night? Oh boy. Yeah. I turned on that, that fucking thing you told me about with the, with the girl and the guy and I fucking watching it. And I said, well, what'd you think? Oh boy. Boring. Fucking boring. It start off, she takes it and kisses it. Boy, I could show her a thing or two. <sighs> he won. <laughs> hey, you tried to rip him and he got you. Oh, he won. Yeah, I mean, but it was it was it was absolutely hilarious, man, and 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 we laughed our ass off, and and of course, uh, anybody that had ears at TV heard that story, and <laughs> it was just that was Pat Patterson, man. That that was that was the beauty of it all, and you just kind of it was that innocence of no, I don't give a fuck anymore, man. You know, by that point in his life, he didn't give a fuck. He was living his life. He was living his life to the fullest and having fun with it. Shit. Everybody should do. Well, no, not that, but anyway. Let's talk about, uh, his relationship with Lord Alfred Hayes. He wrote in his book about some hilarious ribs and, uh, traveling with, with Lord Alfred Hayes. And apparently Pat was such a bad snorer that <laughs> Alfred would remove his, his mattress and put it in the bathroom. So he could just sleep in there just have some peace and quiet. And he even had another thing in his uh, book where he says, Alfred had a fantastic brand new van for our travels in the back. We played cards and drank beer. There was a hidden compartment under the ashtray. And I started stuffing all kinds of garbage in there, especially our empty beer bottles. After a few days, Alfred looked at me and said, Patrick, I don't understand. There's a weird noise. And this van is brand new. It sounds like glass clicking together. I began laughing so hard. He knew I had to tell him what the noise was. Alfred never swore, which made it a funny companion for me. Um, Pat was always a jokester, constant river. And I imagine that Lord Alfred Hayes was the perfect foil for all that. Yeah, he was. And, and the beauty, the beauty of it was that, that Alfred would not curse. So Alfred would be, you have be smudging to me, Patrick, and just come up with these words. Like, man. Would you just call me? Uh, you have absolutely no idea. And the more, the more that Pat could get you, the more you got ribbed. And if there, if there was something there to, to needle you on, he, he would definitely needle you. And it was a little, the little innocent shit like that, that, you know, the, the, the beauty of a prank is, Someone leaves their shoes out. 
it's no fun to take both shoes. Right. That's not fun. That's just mean. However, if you just take one shoe, <laughs> now that's funny. Because now they have to look for the other shoe. And if there was ever somebody on the plane that would sit down, you'd be you know, riding in first class, wherever the fuck you are, somebody would take off their shoes and go to sleep. Lo and behold, the end of the trip, when they would wake up and you'd land, they'd go down to put their shoes on. And one shoe would be missing. They would get down on their hands and knees and look under the seats both ways. And, and, and Pat would help them. Pat would get down in the aisle and look. Oh, I think I see it way back there. It's way back there. I, I think I see it on the floor. And he would have either put it in the bathroom, you know, behind something, or he would have put it in the overhead in somebody else's bag or just wherever. And he would he would actually help them look for a shoe that didn't exist. <laughs> Laughing his ass off the whole time. And telling, I think I see it. The other thing he would do is go, going through a, a crowded place, whether it be an airport or, or a mall or whatever. He'd go, he go, where's the dog? Especially if a little kid's around. Ah, you hear that doggy? And the kid would look around and go, Whoo! and the kid would look over here, and Pat would, would go on a chase for the imaginary dog that didn't exist with this kid. Tremendous. And the parents, and they're all looking around, and uh, it was constant, just absolutely constant. You, didn't, you know, it was the same bit. It was like you know, watching Henny Youngman a hundred times in a row, but it was always funny. When he's... Uh transitioning to being more backstage he's working as a road agent with jay strongbow uh, renee goulet and, and jack lanza that's quite the cast of characters right there is it not well that's to say the least <laughs> yeah and pat thoroughly enjoyed ribbing jay strongbow um just because chief sold and it would be Vince and, and Pat on the phone with Strongbow. And it was during the time that you had pay phones. So the agents used to carry around rolls of quarters mm. in their briefcases. I mean, rolls, because you, you would have to sit there. You'd have to make a million calls at the airport or wherever you were. And you have to put the quarters in and all that shit. So Strongbow would call to get the finishes for that night. And Pat would go, okay, yeah, Jay, did you, did you do the, oh my, what? Jay, did you hear about what happened with Piper Click? Hang up. Jay would put another quarter. He didn't have cell phones. Right. Jay would have to put another quarter in, call again. Why the fuck you hang up on me? God damn it, I was getting ready to tell you, you got to know about what happened with Piper the other night because you got to click. And they would do it like 10 times in a fucking row. Jay's now 250 in and he's a cheap son of a bitch. And he's pissed. And he just wants to know what happened with Piper. 
I'll put him over tonight. Okay. Call me after the show. <laughs> Click. And just constantly do that do that kind of shit. We, we sent Jay one time when Doink uh, started on, on, the, on the road and everything. It was Doink's first first show on the road. We, we sent him out uh, as a replacement. So we didn't have all the makeup and all that shit. He didn't have it for the road. He had only done television. We had professional makeup artists and everything. And so we told Strongbow to go to the store to get clown makeup. Hmm. Well, Strongbow ain't going to do much other than go from his hotel room to the building and back. There ain't going to be any stops in between. But this was, God damn it, Jay. You have to go do this to make sure it's done right. And they give him a list of all this shit to get. And in the middle of the list is Tux. Wimpy, Chief called Pat Wimpy. Wimpy, what's his Tux? It's a bit of the thing for the clown. Get the fucking Tux. And the thought was in our mind that Jay Strongbow is going to go somewhere and he's asking someone for tucks, which is hemorrhoidal wipes. And they're going to be looking at this, this large balding man asking for tucks. And he's not quiet. He probably would have asked loud, but of course, chief double crosses and sent a runner to go get the shit and wasn't as funny. How about this whole time? I thought you meant tucks, like, you know, a tuxedo. And I'm like, you no, don't even tux, know what's it's the hemorrhoidal cream. It's How would like I have a- known that? I don't have hemorrhoids. You don't, you, you don't see the fucking commercial for Tux? No, I have a DVR. They don't have commercials in 2020, this hemorrhoid cream you speak of. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's like the pads. Nah. And you, and it's got the, 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 the medication in it. I think we're watching different stuff, bud. I, I saw some Tux in your medicine cabinet at the house. Don't fucking bullshit me. First of all, I only have a medicine cabinet. Let's talk about, uh, yeah, but I go through your shit in your bathroom when you're not there. <laughs> well, that checks out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's right. Let's talk about another Mr. prank. Tucky McGee. Tucky McGee. That'll be a shirt. Tucky, Tucky Thompson. Fuck off with all this. Tucky Thompson. There's never been a better time to go to savewithconrad.com than right now. We make saving money fast and easy, but don't take my word for it. Ask Frankie Kazarian in California. Wait, the Frankie Kazarian? Yeah, the Frankie Kazarian. You know, one half of the first ever AEW tag team champions as a part of SCU. Yeah, the Frankie Kazarian you see on TNT on AEW Dynamite every single Wednesday night. The Frankie Kazarian got hooked up at SaveWithConrad.com. He left us a five-star review and had this to say: Conrad, Jimmy, and the team were all beyond. Conrad, Jimmy, and the team were all beyond a delight to do business with. We wanted to do some major renovations and additions to our home that made this process incredibly easy and comfortable for us. They were always there to answer any questions we had and help us every step of the way. I cannot recommend them enough. Their professionalism is second to none, and they were a pleasure to do business with. Frankie Kazarian. Well, thank you, Mr. Kazarian, for the five-star review. I hope you and the missus enjoy turning your house into your home 
Frankie knew what to do. He went to SaveWithConrad.com. He told his old mortgage company, SCU Later. How about this? When you go to SaveWithConrad.com, you're going to realize that you're currently in the worst mortgage you've ever been in. SaveWithConrad.com can help, though. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. And did I mention no house payments for two months? We're licensed in more than 40 states, and you don't need perfect credit. So if we can't save you cash, we won't waste your time. Find out how much money you can save right now for free, just like Frankie did at SaveWithConrad.com. Uh, you know what? Let's talk about something that you and I, I, again, I don't know if you want to share this, but you mentioned earlier that Pat had the big place in Connecticut, the three-story treehouse, Shea Gimmick, but he relocated to Florida and you ribbed him unmercifully about his new destination, not just moving to Florida, but specifically where he moved. And you, uh, you had quite a bit of fun. I don't know where the fuck you're going with that. I know. I, I know I used to fuck with him when he went to Fort Lauderdale. Okay. This is and, probably the same story. Okay. And, and he, he, look, man, he moved into a goddamn trailer park. <laughs> <laughs> this is the one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he moved into a fucking French Canadian trailer park. Uh, um, and um, he had a beautiful trailer, okay? He had a mobile home. I'm sorry. But he oh, would get really it. he'd get really hot when you called it trailer. Oh, but but I know he got hot when I called it a mobile home. Oh, okay. And yeah. And, and so it's like uh, uh, we'd say, hey Pat, how's life at the trailer park? Oh, fuck you. I don't live in a trailer park. I said, Oh, okay. The mobile home park. Fuck you, it's not a mobile home. I said, Pat. It's a goddamn mobile home. They delivered it on the back of a fucking truck and put it together. It's, just, it's a modular home. It's not a mobile home. Fuck you. <laughs> but he would get so upset when I would say, hey, man, how's the trailer fucking park going, man? I live in a modular home. It's a beautiful, beautiful neighborhood. I got the French Canadian. Everybody everybody speaks French there. I got to go. I've been in Montreal at a pace. Uh, yeah, he fucking lived in a goddamn modular home. Well, the fucking trailer. One of the times when we did a show down in Florida, uh, Pat came to meet us and, uh, he slid in the parking lot on two wheels in that turbo Porsche SUV that he had. Was Pat always a car guy? No, not at all. And that, that was one of the funny things when he showed up in the Porsche was because Pat, for the most part, always had like a Lincoln town car. Just comfortable, simple, and didn't really care. Then, then I think he got, um, then he got a convertible when he went to Florida. Maybe like a Chrysler LeBaron. That was Bobby Heenan's ride, man. The, <laughs> the Chrysler LeBaron convertible. But yeah, when Pat came in in that fucking Porsche, man, that was uh, that was the first car that he ever bought for himself. That was a gimmick car, that as he called it. I love my gimmick car. Fuck it. I'm fucking 70 years old. Fuck you. Out of pace. Did, uh, did Pat smoke his entire life as far as, you know, when you knew him? Oh, God damn. Yes. Um, yeah, he quit probably five, six years ago. And there were different times that he would, he would try and quit through the years. But yes, Pat smoked, uh, all the fucking time when the, uh, 
no smoking thing, you know, really became big. And mm-hmm. You, you got to remember, man, we're old and, and you probably don't remember, but there were everywhere you would go in restaurants, you had a smoking section, a non-smoking section. Right. I remember. And, and people smoked in lobbies all over the place and, and, and in the office was, and airplanes and everywhere. everywhere. And so when, uh, you'd walk in and, and they started the, the no smoking bands everywhere, they would usually have a sign that would say, thank you for not smoking. And Pat would usually stand right in front of the sign and light up and go, don't thank me, motherfucker. <laughs> and just smoke a cigarette. And he would, he would try and hide it, you know, in his hand and shit, hold it a certain way and hide it. And someone would come and say, put your cigarette out. No, it wasn't to me. It was him over there. And then smoke it and, and get rid of it and trash it. But yeah, Pat. And when we started with the pyro, okay, on, on the television shows and that Raw's where we had those big explosions and shit. Well, that was all new for us. And Pat would walk out with a fucking cigarette, you know, three feet from enough pyro to blow us all the kingdom come. Why? What do you want from me? I don't fucking know. Okay, I put it out. He'll go to throw, put it out, and throw it like right next to the pyro, not having a clue. Um, but yeah, Pat. Pat smoked a lot. Never, you know, never uh, smoked pot. Pat just liked his his vodka tonics. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. His go-to drink was vodka tonic. What was his favorite vodka? Do you recall? I don't. Give a fuck. It's vodka. Don't try to charge me for that extra shit. Just give me some fucking vodka. Didn't give a shit. There's a uh, story he wrote in his book about uh, him and Vince in Houston once. He says, we're waiting for Uh, our plane with 45 minutes to kill. I decided to go to the restroom and smoke a cigarette. You could do that back then. Someone took the stall right beside me. And then the person spoke, Patrick, open up your book. We're going to check our numbers to see if we should run that town again after tonight. In the toilet conducting business. When I said Houston, you knew the story. Oh yeah, it's fucking airport man. And Pat was like, just couldn't wait to get away from Vince. Goes in, take a shit, have a cigarette. Gonna sit in the stall, smoke. Next thing you know, yeah, Vince is there. Get your book out. We we would go. We would we would ride with Vince into New York to get a haircut. And one of the, one of the best nights that the three of us ever had together, so much fucking fun, but we started at the house and it's like three o'clock in the afternoon. And Vince says, I got to go into the, uh, city to get a haircut. Let's go guys. Why the fuck do we have to go? That damn, we'll get some work done. So we go into the city. He's going to a new place. All right. And he used to go to this one place, to get his haircut. Now he's going to this, this place in the basement of the St. Regis hotel in Manhattan. Well, we knew the other place, you know, had bars and shit around it, had a bar in the hotel and everything and, and nice and a lot of bars and shit around it. So Vince goes in to get his haircut and Pat and I are sitting there and he's like, what do you want to do? Yeah, fuck this. I'm going to go have a drink. We walk around, we, we go down and we, first we go to the bar in the St. Regis and I go up, I ordered a, uh, vodka tonic and a Coors Light. It was like 1350. Now again, this was a while ago where fucking Coors Light and a vodka tonic should cost like seven bucks. 
Right. And I'm like, $13.50. I said, no, no, no. I just want one Coors Light and one vodka tonic. Yeah, $13.50. Motherfucker. So I bring it back. I tell Pat how much it costs. So, Fuck this place. So we go walking around trying to find a bar. Right. Nothing close. Nothing. So we're waiting now. You know, it's been about, I don't know, 45 minutes or so. And we know Vince has to get his fucking haircut, his nails done, his shoes shined, and all this other shit. And it's like, God damn, I want another. Fuck, I've got to find something to drink. I said, Pat, we go back into the St. Regis. I said, let's, we're standing there. Bar's now a little, it's crowded. And these three women get up from a table right where we're standing. I said, let's just sit down here. We'll order a round of drinks and we'll have a few drinks and whatever here. Vince is going to finish up soon. He's got to come find us. He's not going to leave us. He'll, he'll come find us when he comes to find us. So we'll get him a drink and then he'll sit down. We'll have a couple of drinks with him. He'll pick up the tab. Don't worry about it. So Pat and I have a few drinks and sure enough, here comes Vince around the corner. He's looking for us on cue. Waitress is there. I said, hey, yeah, bring us another round of drinks and add a double doers on the rocks for him. Thank you very much. Get on your way before he can say no. She comes right back. She brings the drinks down. I said, go ahead and bring us another round. Come back and Vince has finished the second drink now. And he's like, all right, guys, what are we going to do? And we're like, well, you know. I don't know. Fuck, man. It's like six something now or six thirty, almost seven o'clock. And fuck, man. I don't know. I, we'll go back. Now he's already had two doubles. Pat and I have been sitting there drinking for about forty-five minutes. And I was like, yeah, fuck it. Let's go to dinner, man. Let's go do something. And waitress comes by and he says, Yeah, just bring us our tab. <laughs> she brings him the fucking tab. Oh. It was a little, little steep, and he looks at us, Jesus Christ, how long have you guys been here? But he paid for it, just like we knew. <laughs> and and then, but then that night, it was it was so fucking fun, man. We went uh, to all of our spots in New York, and so we had drinks there. We went to Jimmy Weston's, which was his dad's favorite restaurant that he used to eat after, after the garden every night. We went to Jimmy Weston's and had drinks, and we had some more d'oeuvres. Then we went to this Italian place where he had like some uh, spaghettis, as Pat would say. We had some pasta and some shit. Then we went and we ate at, uh, God damn it, the grill, Smith and Walensky's grill. Yeah, I was going to ask. Jimmy Weston's eventually became. Like that was his go-to spot, but then eventually Smith and Walensky's became his go-to spot. He being Vince pronouns, pal. Yeah, the grill. Yeah. We, we would go to the grill after the garden, the right side. That's the bar, not the, yeah, it's main like dining. the bar and, yeah. and the, they got tables and shit in there and everything. And it's just a little livelier. Yeah. And, uh, so then we, we went there for dinner and then we went to Gallagher steakhouse for rice pudding for dessert. Then we went to go have drinks and have meat pies because it, there, there was this Argentinian restaurant bar that Andre used to go to and have meat pies. So we had to go there to have basically our nightcap and get a fucking meat pie. 
so it, it was just it was the best it was just the best night best day because it, at three o'clock we left the house went into the city and then we just fuck it we're in the city let's go let's just go and, and have a good fucking night we hit all of our spots and went home you know one of the things we didn't spend a lot of time talking about last week but Pat Patterson was a big part of WrestleMania one. Muhammad Ali was of course going to be there for the festivities and Pat Patterson's there. And if you fast forward in WrestleMania four, uh, we see, uh, coming down to ringside and Pat is her escort and he's got his hands out on both sides to protect her. He did the same thing with WrestleMania 10. He would write in his book that he made sure he walked behind him to make sure no one could try to pull his hair because of course, Bert was wearing a wig. And allegedly he even told Donald Trump about it, but Pat loved the interaction with the celebrities and, uh, sort of, uh, being the buffer between them and the fans whenever possible. Right. Well, you know why he, Pat was in with Ali at WrestleMania one, because Pat had worked with all those guys all during the week, laying out the match with Mr. T and Pat knew the match forward and backwards as, as well as everyone else. And Ali was you know, didn't have a clue. Um, you know, I, I don't know that, you know, the Parkinson's is really, but it was, it was, he was a, he was an outsider. You're putting him in there with three guys that are pros and, and Mr. T who also was, was a outsider in there. So when they're, they're looking at it, go, well, fuck man, you got Muhammad Ali refereeing. He doesn't know how to referee. So Pat, so he goes, well, he goes, we'll put Ali on the outside, have him like be the outside enforcer referee. We'll come up with a spot, a spot for Ali to get involved. But Pat was in there to maintain control and keep everybody calm and and make sure that everybody got through the match, but also to kind of keep an eye on Ali on the outside of the ring who really wanted to get involved. And Pat, you know, Pat was really good friends with Liberace, uh, Barnett was, was friends with, with Liberace as well. And, you know, Pat Patterson, it's, it was always funny when like, uh, holy shit, Mike Tyson, when Tyson came back and, and Tyson met Pat, it was, it was like meeting God. He was like, Oh my God, Pat Patterson. I watched you when I was a little kid. I remember you matching. And it was, he just was enamored with, with Pat. And then when Pat is helping Mike through all of this stuff, it was like, Oh my God, I'm working with Pat Patterson. And it, it was mutual, <laughs> you know, that these, a lot of the, the older guys had, and, and younger guys had, had seen Pat through the years working. And now he's backstage. So there was, uh, you know, they knew each other from, from afar, from their celebrity. And yeah, Pat, Pat loved that shit. The, the, uh, the fuck, uh, president Clinton look alike. Oh my God. We, we, we laughed and just cut up with that guy forever. There was a great story in his book where he talks about working with Chuck Norris. Of course, Chuck Norris was at the survivor series in 94 and he would note that Pat or, or Pat wrote in his book that Chuck was kind of nervous about what all they were going to do that night and didn't want to do the wrong thing. And Pat trying to calm him down, supposedly said, don't worry. I'm Pat Patterson. I'll take care of everything. And he says that Chuck replied, 
I'm Chuck Norris and I trust you <laughs> considering all the fun that we've had on the internet over the last few years with Chuck Norris. That's pretty hilarious. Absolutely, man. And it was and that, that actually fucking happened. We were upstairs in the, uh, Joe and Harry Freeman Coliseum. And it was like, don't you worry about a damn thing. Chuck had his kicking jeans on and said, you, uh, and I told him, I said, Chuck, you just throw it. I said, Jeff will be there. And Jeff told, took a big bump. And you can see, if you go back and watch it, you'll see a huge smile on Chuck Norris's face once he nails the kick on Jeff. And Jeff takes this huge bump and makes him look like a million bucks. Hey, come back. I told you, I told you, you Chuck Norris at a pace. And he turns to me and goes, who the fuck is this guy? No, not true. I know you weren't there at the time, but did you watch Legends House on the network? Yeah, I did. I mean, obviously you knew all of those guys really well, but they had like a big payoff where Pat sort of officially came out, if you will. And it was a, a tearful affair and we had seen, you know, an, a nod in that direction in commentary a few times by Jim Ross and, and certainly the double entendres that you mentioned earlier. And he made a big to do in his hall of fame speech, which we touched on last week where he was sort of saying he was going to share the award with Louie, but you had to be moved. Even if you knew that by that point, it wasn't exactly a secret. It was a big deal for Pat Patterson to sort of the share that part of his life with the world. Right. It was a big deal for, for Pat to say it out loud Yeah, and to embrace it and not give a shit, you know? And, and it was, look, Pat had a, a, a difficult life because of some of his life choices and that's just wrong. So for Pat to be able to, to come out in his way on his terms, good for him. Fuck everybody. And that was, that was some funny shit. It was, uh, there during that legends house. So that they're locked down in this house. All right. And they got these, uh, reality TV producers and shit doing this. And their, their whole thing is, Oh my God, it's gotta be real. You know, we, we have to control you guys the, the entire time. You can't leave the house and we're recording everything. We have cameras everywhere and blah, 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 blah. Motherfucker, we come from a world of make-believe, and we come from a world of entertainment. It's like, you can turn the camera off and let us just be us. And Pat and Gene had reached a point of frustration to where they could not be in that house anymore. They were sick of everybody. And they talked one of the producers in to, after a shoot that they had done outside of the house, they said, get us a car. And take us, I think it was outside of San Diego or something like that, and take us downtown to the to this place because there's a strip of bars there. He goes, and we're going to get a drink. And so the car takes them down, and everybody else goes back to the house. And they're all wondering, where's Pat and Gene? And uh, Pat takes takes Gene down. They hit a couple bars and they're supposed to have one drink. And now they kind of, they shook the producer and they shook the car and they're going down and they get into this one bar and Gene's had a few, Pat's had a few and Okerlund starts looking around and says, good Lord, Pat, these are some of the ugliest girls I've ever seen in my life. And Pat goes, 
Uh, we're in a drag bar. <laughs> it just got the biggest kick out of it. So now they go out and they're trying to find their car that they shook, but now they want it because now they're drunk and they want to go home. Back at the house, everybody's pissed. So they're like, you know what? Fuck them. Lock all the doors, turn all the lights off. I said, they're, they're out doing shit. We're stuck here in this fucking house. We can't go out. We can't do shit. And Piper and Duggan and those guys, they like lock, lock everything down. Hear the car come up. They hear Gene and, and Pat get out. And they, all the lights, they turn all the lights off and they're waiting. And they're waiting for him to come up and try the door and all this shit. And they're going to watch him go all the way around the house and try all the doors. And then they're going to jump them when they come in. So they're all sitting there waiting and waiting and listening and all this stuff. And Pat and Gene walk up to the front door. Take the handle. Open the door. And walk in. And Duggan's like, God damn it, Jimmy! We told you to lock the front door! And Jimmy goes, Well, maybe they, they wouldn't have been able to get in if I locked all the doors. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody was just so fucking hot and pat and Jimmy, oh, fuck out of pace, moving out. And they stoop, yeah, you know, they tell on themselves, tell everything that they did. So yeah, there was a little heat in that house, but it was it was quite entertaining. Apparently, I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, with everybody on there, it was interesting. When you get fired again, can we do uh, an ad free show's house with you and Tony Schiavone and Jim Ross and Arn Anderson and Eric Bischoff in the same house? Good lord! <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't last tonight. Well, it'd be hilarious. We get a lot of great footage. Oh god, damn. Hey, we're, we're going to tell a few more stories and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, it was in the observer and, and it's been reported a lot of other places too, that Pat did not know, uh, the plans for the Montreal screw job, but he was important as far as laying out the match and, and even suggesting the sharpshooter. No, but see, once again, Dave Meltzer's fucking wrong. Okay. My point wrong. is my, I didn't even get to finish. He didn't know that there was going to be a screw job. And allegedly, uh, Vince wanted to insulate him from that because he wanted the talent to be able to trust him. And he knew that this could have serious repercussions. How tore up was Pat about the screw job, knowing how close and how important he was to both the careers of not only Shawn Michaels, but Bret Hart. Uh, yeah, Pat was really torn up, but, but again, to correct, um, the gossip mongers, uh, statement. Bret Hart suggested the sharpshooter uh, in that spot. So Pat was the agent, but Pat did not know uh, what was going to take place. Right. And after it happened, Pat watched it, and Pat was disgusted, and he he was so mad that you know he started to leave. And Pat thought about it, and he walked out, and he thought about it, thought about it. He says, you know, if he left, he felt that would make him look guilty. Right. And the more he thought about it, the more, you know, he was like, fuck that. And he walked into Brett and said, Brett standing in front of you, I knew nothing. 
You want to punch me out? Punch me out. But I'm standing here looking you in, you in your eye, and I didn't know a damn thing. And I love you. And, you know, I'm sorry, but I just wanted you to know that. And, you know, Brett shook his hand, and, and it was what it was. But no, Pat didn't. Pat didn't have a clue. Not a clue. Hey, Bruce, and to give you a quick shout out, we uh, have recently been talking a little bit more about the importance of having a money guy here on some of my shows. And I just casually mentioned that you're using friend of the show, Lenny Bakken, uh, who I think is on Twitter. Let me see if I can find his handle. Uh, I interact with him all the time, but I sometimes forget his handle. Thank goodness for autocorrect every now and again. L-E-N-N-Y. B-A-K-K-E-N. Anyway, yeah, there he is. Lenny Bakken is a financial advisor. He's your money guy. And uh, everybody on these various shows talks a little bit about the importance of having a money guy. Jim Ross's money guy has been uh, well-established now for 20 years. And, uh, of course, we've heard the famous story from Arn Anderson about when he was uh, coming to grips with the reality that this surgery he had in 97 was going to be the end of his career he thought, man, this might be the end of my whole life. Uh, thank goodness he had a money guy. Anyway, just wanted to take a minute to uh, send a shout out to you, Bruce, because I know that you've used Lenny for a while now and, and put him over big to me off there. And then I just mentioned it on the show and I'm starting to get people DMing me saying, Hey man, Lenny is really hooking me up. So friends helping friends here on the show and, uh, a friend of the show, Lenny Bakken makes it possible. So. If you haven't already, check him out on Twitter. He's a fun dude to follow. He's at Lenny Bakken, and uh, he's a big fan of everything we're doing over at adfreeshows.com. Big wrestling fan, and you see his profile picture is him and Arn, and then his header is uh, me, him, and Bruce at the first live something to wrestle. God, it feels like 100 years ago. And one day you, you'll look back and, and think about that, maybe with your money and Lenny. So shout out to Lenny, man. Uh, I love when, when we have these success stories, friends, helping friends through wrestling. Come on. There was another rumor that you and I've touched on before. I believe that, um, and he even wrote in his book, there was another rumor that I quit the business in 2004 as triple H was starting to assume more responsibilities. Now that's complete bullshit. Believe me. When I write this, I was burned out at the time and it was probably the third or fourth time I've quit. I lost count. But no, I don't want Paul to fail. In fact, the opposite is true. I desperately want him to succeed. I want the business to continue to thrive after I'm gone, after Vince is gone. Paul knows he's now part of the family. He knows because I've said to him, I'm not looking for a job, but if I can never help you with anything, just ask and I'll be there. I'll be there for you just as I was for Vince and his dad. You'll always get the truth out of me. Where do you think these, you know, these stories, if you will, of, because that's been said a lot that Pat Patterson and triple H didn't get along. You saw them interact. You know, the truth that didn't just grow on trees. Does it? Yeah, apparently it does. Okay. Because it's not the truth at all. Pat well, and you know, go back to the early days with triple H and Pat was a huge fan and saw something in triple H that other people didn't see and, and was a big advocate. Um, I'm not, I'm not saying he didn't like him. I guess what I'm saying is would that story come out perhaps as an overreaction to people seeing them have a disagreement about, I mean, cause not everybody's gonna like, if you're just freestyling ideas, 
there's going to be some people who like an idea and other people who don't. And perhaps they witness that and assume in one of these brainstorming sessions or powwows that all oh, these guys just don't. And especially when Pat does decide he's going to leave, maybe people try to put two and two together and connect the dots where really there is no connection. There's nothing to that. Nothing to it at all. Talk to us it's about the, it's not true. What about the rock? He gets a lot of credit for being the guy who really discovered the rock. Uh, One, thank you for bringing that up. 100% Pat Patterson. And to set the record straight too, uh, I was doing talent relations at the time. Pat called me about this kid, Dewey Johnson. Johnson. And his father, Rocky's kid. Okay. Rocky Johnson's kid, man. Shit. It's fucking third generation. Holy shit. He goes, he's been playing football in Canada. He's really down. Uh, I've seen him in the ring. Oh, my God. He's a natural, but he needs to be trained. He goes, I've done some things with him and shit. And asked us if we would take a look at him. Brought him to, uh, I think Houston was the first place that we brought him to for a television taping, worked with the brawler. And that was, that was Pat Vince, Vince at the time was like, ah, you know, he goes, I I don't know what have you. And then, uh, signed him to a developmental deal with, uh, same time we signed Mark Henry and Occam Albrecht and all those guys. Um, but 100% 100% Pat Patterson was the guy that introduced us to him. Pat was the one that brought him in. Pat, uh, I credit Pat 100% for discovering the rock and, and having the, the confidence in him from day one. And yes, Pat definitely pushed the rock and rightfully so. And had a, had a, uh, a passion for the rock and, loved the character and loved the human being and was there for him every step of the way. So, um, yeah, Pat 100% recruited the rock, got him his first match, whole nine yards. And he, he wrote in his book that, uh, that rock had an in at the FBI, but he wanted to try wrestling first. Isn't it remarkable to think, how differently everything is not just wrestling, not just the company, but just pop culture, you know, in Hollywood over the last, I don't know, two decades had the rock actually pursued his quote unquote in at the FBI. Yeah, no shit. It'd be a different world. Wouldn't it? Listen, I I don't want to, uh, I don't want to go out on a bad note, but I do want to at least address something that we got blown up with in comments because Pat addressed it in his book. He wrote quote over the years, I've just ignored all the casting couch innuendo made towards me and my work at WWE. I was smarter than that. It still hurts, but there was really no way for me to defend myself. I became the disappointed wannabe wrestlers ultimate excuse for why they weren't offered a contract. And that's just silly. People who were unhappy use the fact that I am gay to get back at WWE to all the people who have ever said they weren't hired because they were not gay. I can only say guys, I'm sorry. You were just not good enough. That's from Pat's book accepted. I know that, uh, a lot's been written about it. 
and you can read Meltzer's obituary. If you want more details, it's probably not the forum for us to dig into it, but Meltzer did sum it up with this one sentence. The ring boy stuff had no connection with Patterson. As far as anyone could tell only Garvin and Phillips who never returned. The synopsis I've always heard Bruce is for whatever reason, when these allegations came out and, and there were certainly, uh, some fire to that smoke when it regarded in regards to Garvin and Phillips, but perhaps unfairly, maybe because he joked about it and he was a little more open and maybe just because it was known that he was gay, he was lumped in there rather unfairly. That's always been the, the story that I've understood and, and what I've read over and over from Wade Keller and, and Dave Meltzer and even in Pat's book, you were there. I wasn't. What would you like to address if anything and put this yeah. to bed? I spent more time with Pat Patterson, uh, through the years than, than we did with, with our spouses and the allegations. It, it's just complete bullshit. I won't even dignify it with an answer because it's just rumor innuendo and it's bullshit and it's hurtful and it's wrong. And Pat, I think summed it up best is that it's from a lot of disgruntled people that, you know what, maybe just weren't good enough to make it. And we're looking for an excuse and thought that he would be an easy excuse. Uh, the human being, Pat Patterson, I love to death and he was part of my family. Um, my kids, when they, when they were born, oh my God, you know, looking at those pictures, holy shit. It was just so hard this past week. Um, just, just the love. And here was a beautiful, wonderful human being judged by people that never knew him, never spent a minute getting to know the person. And for that, I'm sorry for you because you missed out on meeting one of the warmest, most genuine human beings on the face of the earth. And I'm thankful to have had the time that I got to spend with him and I wouldn't trade it for anything in the entire world because he was taught me so much about life in general. And I will love him till the day I die and look forward to seeing him in a future life on down the road. But to the people that want to say negative, uh, I've got absolutely, I won't dignify your negativity with a response. I'm sorry that you never got to know the man, Pat Patterson. And I'm fortunate that I did. Let's, uh, let's try to leave on a high note here because I do, this has been a great celebration of life, but I did feel like we should probably just address the nonsense and, and move on. But man, what a legacy he's going to leave behind, you know, not just the first intercontinental champion not just the creator of the royal rumble but so much more i'm i'm curious you know i, I know we don't talk about current stuff but would it shock you the way on you know andre the giant has been memorialized with the andre the giant memorial battle royal would it shock you to see some sort of situation or program or match concept or pay-per-view or tournament or whatever dedicated to pat patterson no, it wouldn't shock me at all. And I think it should happen because again, um, so many of the things that you do see, uh, to those that know, you know, that it already is a dedication to Pat because we know that it was something that he created from a place of, um, creation, I guess is, is the best way. Pat was a creator and a damn great one. Uh, one of the best. And, you know, I, I just want to play armchair quarterback here and just ask hypothetically, 
because we have talked a lot about that sexuality and, and how challenging that could be in the time and place when she came up. Uh, we talked about it a lot more last week, but I, I couldn't help but think this past week. What, what do you think his career would have looked like had he not been homosexual? And I know that sounds weird, but on some level, it does make you wonder, was he more behind the scenes? Did he have some sort of ceiling just based on that? Maybe for whatever reason, Vince didn't feel like he could put him out front and and make him the champion and the top star and, and make a big run. Or maybe he would have had more opportunities with a WCW. Like I even talked to Eric Bischoff about this off the air one day. If he could have made one key acquisition from the WWF, who would it have been? And he thought for a while. And the answer was Pat Patterson. They didn't have a guy who could be the finished guy and the genius. Certainly they had a, a, a guy who knew how to quote unquote book heat like Kevin Sullivan, but Pat Patterson was wrestling Joda as Jericho said, and he perhaps could have leveled everything up. Um, but maybe in a weird way, his sexual orientation could have been, I don't know. Uh, that I think that is absolutely nothing to it. You don't think that, that his career would have been any different whatsoever. Look at how, look at how great his career was. No, I'm not arguing that at all, Uh, but, but it never held him back. It never held him back because of the human being that Pat was and the talent that Pat was. Well, let me, let me clarify, I guess. We've briefly addressed the rumors and the innuendos that are out there. And, you know, there was even an accusation made with his name on Donahue. And that was a big deal. I'm not arguing all false, but, but, but it didn't hold him back. It didn't hold him back. It, it, he still went on to be the creator and continue to create and innovate without. So, I mean, to that, I I say there's nothing to it and I don't think it would have changed a thing at all. And again, Pat Patterson wasn't the, wasn't the guy that wanted to be world champion. Right. He just wanted to be Pat Patterson. He just wanted to do what he wanted to do, be the best at it, and he was. He would have celebrated for that. I think one of the things you probably liked best about working with Pat, and I could be wrong, but sometimes we talk about guys who took themselves too seriously. And and don't get me wrong, there's a time and a place for that, certainly. But Pat never struck me as that. Pat was always the guy who was just looking to enjoy the moment. And I think that's probably a lesson in life about just making the most out of every day and every moment and every experience. And he was not necessarily there to steal a hillbilly gym line. I'm not here for a long time. I'm here for a good time. Is that Pat Patterson? Yeah, Pat, but I do think Pat wanted to make a difference and Pat did and everything in, in every life that he touched in a positive way. Well, boys and girls, we hope you've enjoyed, gosh, now episode three, uh, three shows in this last week, all about Pat Patterson. You know, next week we've got a fun show scheduled. Uh, last week we were supposed to do Armageddon 05. This week we were supposed to do Ray Mysterio Jr., but I bumped it for Armageddon 05. Next week we're supposed to do In Your House 5, but at this rate, it might be Pat Patterson <laughs> episode four. Uh, but if it we actually, what kind of mood I'm in. If we actually do in your house five, here's what we'll be talking about. Bret Hart and the British bulldog for the world title, the undertaker and King Mabel in a casket match, Owen versus diesel 
Hunter versus Henry O'Godwin in an Arkansas hog pen match with Hillbilly Jim as the special guest referee. Oh, God damn, that was in Hershey. That's exactly right. Ahmed. Ah, that was a fun night. I bet there's a story about those pigs in there. There sure is. We're going to find out next week. We hope, but you know what? I won't be disappointed if it's another episode about Pat Patterson. I hope you guys have enjoyed this as much as I have. It's certainly been a departure for us, but Bruce, if I dare say I, this almost feels like maybe it's uh, been a therapeutic process for you to talk about your friend, Pat. You just took the words out of my mouth and I, uh, thank you to our wonderful, awesome audience for indulging me. Well, we had a great time. Uh, we'd love to have your feedback. He is at Bruce Pritchard. I am at Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. And we are out of time. If you've got a question about next week's in your house, five cruise on over right now to at Pritchard show and uh, pick it up there. And don't worry. We've got a couple of special bonus episodes brought to you by Geico coming later this month. That's right. Not one, but two bonus episodes of something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. And as always, you get all these shows early and ad free over at adfreeshows.com. There's also tons of incredible footage of Pat Patterson, in our live shows, Pat Patterson singing on stage at Starcast, and so many of those live shows. Uh, we've had a blast with Pat and it's been fun going back down memory lane. And, uh, if it's all right with you, maybe we could, uh, have you, uh, sing us a song to wrap us up here today. What do you think? What song you want? Well, I mean, I'm thinking maybe we've heard, we've heard his version of my way. You said you're a great singer. I am. Well, what do you say? I got a brand new record. I got a place says not now, boy, but I did anyway because I'm ready, so ready. That? Yeah, Pat did a Pat did a much better job at karaoke. See you next week, boys and girls, right here on Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Rock on. By the way, the best way to introduce Something to Wrestle to the wrestling fan in your life is to send them to our YouTube channel. It's youtube.com forward slash something to wrestle. Do us a favor. Go hit that subscribe button right now. You'll get a sneak peek of upcoming episodes. Lots of fun clips to show your friends. And maybe best of all, we have a ton of new giveaways headed your way over at youtube.com forward slash something to wrestle. Plus we've got a ton of new gimmicks up at boxofgimmicks.com. For instance, we've got a lot of Dave Silva's cover arts on posters. There's lots of different ways to support the show and be a part of the ad free show community. Check them out right now at boxofgimmicks.com. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button over at youtube.com forward slash something to wrestle. The most hated jeweler in America is excited to introduce you to someone very special. She's beautiful, classy, and she's brilliant. She will dazzle you. People can't stop staring at her. Meet Krista. She's easy. Wait, what? Krista is Steven Singer's most loved engagement ring and takes the stress and guesswork out of finding the perfect ring. A bright white, 100% eye flawless, near colorless, high quality, round, brilliant cut diamond expertly set into a classic solitaire Tiffany setting that will withstand the test of time. Krista is available. She's ready for love and ready to meet you. Steven Singer isn't in the jewelry business. He's in the love business. This magnificent full one carat round, brilliant cut diamond is only 31.98. Real jewelry doesn't have to be expensive. Plus free shipping and 12 months interest-free financing. 
Steven's showroom is open by appointment only or go now to IHateStevenSinger.com and click on the Krista ready for love engagement ring. Steven Singer jewelers, real jewelry, real experts for your real love. That's I hate Steven singer.com. Hey, real quick, before we get out of here, I want to remind you that we're making the impossible possible over at SaveWithConrad.com. but don't take my word for it. Ask my man, Brian from Louisville, Kentucky. He saved a boatload of cash with SaveWithConrad.com. left us a five-star review. And he had this to say, Conrad's team was able to get me an excellent rate on my mortgage. A competing company said it was impossible to get us this rate. Guess they were wrong. Thanks again for helping me save a lot of money. What are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save right now for free. We're licensed in more than 40 states. It's no cost, no obligation. And if we can't save you some cash, we won't waste your time. But maybe best of all, you don't need perfect credit to do this. But if you hurry right now, you're going to get the cash infusion you need just in time for the holidays. You get to skip your single biggest bill, your house payment for two months, and we can even help you knock out your credit card debt. But most importantly, cut years off of your loan. Oh, it sounds too good to be true, but we can do it for you right now at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Hurry to savewithconrad.com before it's too late. Hey everybody, this is Dan Bespris, host of Fantasy NBA Today, a daily fantasy basketball podcast. We cover every box score from every game every day, plus bonus shows on buy low opportunities, players to stash, schedule analysis, and really anything you could need to smash your league into deliciously tiny pieces. Catch the Fantasy NBA Today podcast, part of the Believe Network, on YouTube or wherever you listen.